0: chance. Four dead. Where's the gas chamber for sure. You don't think I'm dumb enough to
1: give myself up to the team, do you? A hoodlum turns himself in on a phony rap and beats the gas chamber.
0: So what happens? Jarrett does a stretch in the penitentiary. Casey gets lonely, wants to talk to someone. We're don't uh, let one of our own boys do a stretch. There's insanity in the Jarretts. Some of it rubbed off on Cody. Any minute he's after crack open at the seams. Ma! Ma! I think it was that case. I said
2: I'd be back. I'm here. We're all here. We're all here. I hope we're here. if we're not here, we're where we else would we also be? <laughs> <laughs> we get very metaphysical yeah. on this episode. <laughs> Yo, man, not only am I here... We're here, man. You're here, and we're all going to be here. Here, man. How are you? I'm good, man. I do have to say um,
1: that... I thought we were wearing our leathers for this episode. So that's was, why. That's why I'm dressed like yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I haven't got my chaps on.
2: Yeah, you know. I guess it was. It I, been, thought, I don't know. It was an unspoken. I thought there was an unspoken agreement that we were gonna. I thought it was odd. You <laughs> wanted. To, yeah, you wanted to watch this together. Um, and then we were gonna be in. I, I was like, we, we're actually gonna play this part out on, while we watch the movie. I
1: do have to say. <laughs> going into this. I watching this movie, it occurred to me that this is like the most awkward sleepover movie ever.
2: Certainly if you were to watch it at the time you um you know, if you when when our our show takes place, if you were to get it growing up and then go like, hey, you want to run an Al Pacino movie? Everything's out. Let's get this, this one. This is like the movie
1: sleepover going gonna rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're getting I, some tits, and because then... I remember even back in the day, uh, you know, in my later teens, not late teens, but you know, like mid teens, hanging out and doing you know doing the sleepover thing with my friends, and you're kind of past the late 80s, early 90s. Now we're getting into the mid 90s and you're starting to get into like the more uh, macho type of cinema. We're starting to watch a lot of Scorsese. This was the era of like Quentin Tarantino had, was just, be, had just become big and, yeah. and had shined a light on a lot of uh, this more like masculine, like, you know, organized crime type thing. And so you get into stuff like you know, good fellas and stuff. And so you're into Godfather and and all all that. So I would remember we would go to the store and you would always see this like the cover of cruising.
2: Yeah, that shitty 80s box.
1: But it was you know, it's not like the the poster or the one in our store anyway. It was like Pacino standing there in like a leather jacket with like the leather hat on. Yeah it was it was always like we didn't know what the movie was about. And it was always like she was looking pretty awesome. <laughs> like, I, I wonder what that's like. Is he a biker? Like, what is it? So, so this is like... <laughs> you're right. That you then, know, like a like four like fourteen, fifty year old guys. Like, yeah, this looks like it's gonna be pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, and Then we, you run in, you're like, what that like t- totally like uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, guys like still maybe not secure in their sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Drinking soda. And then like mom or dad comes in to like Okay, we're going to bed. Anybody needs it? My God, what are you watching? <laughs> Guy like greasing up his hand. <laughs> yeah, with Frisco oil. <laughs> and it's like, uh So I guess even though Frisco, we're just- Cisco oil, that's a joke in itself. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is uh We should have mic'd your 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 outfit because we hear all the <laughs>
1: So I guess what I'm saying is that uh even though we're doing this on the show, I don't know if I would recommend this movie for an adolescent yeah. sleepover. <laughs> and I don't know where you got the hat from, too. That's really... Oh, you know. You know well, I, you know, I went to the... You live in the city. That's can That's, get that's I, I,
2: it's true. I, I didn't think of that. But it's... Yeah, it's... it's I, I, yeah, when you st- came over uh, today, or I came over... When I came over to your house today, you know, when you answered the door, I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, we're cosplaying this. This is this is going to be really fun. <laughs> Imagine if this movie was like... You know how, like
1: uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, has like those screenings that everybody oh, gets dressed on, up and goes up, and they, up and front and they, they, they bring sings. rice and they throw shit. Yeah, yeah, we do, they they do with this. That,
2: that's the world we live in, where they <laughs> like the people cr- are going to a cosplay screening, <laughs> c- a cruising. <laughs> We're doing cruising this week, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody knows
1: where the lions are. People get greased up at yeah. certain parts of the movie. Dun, 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 dun,
2: dun, <laughs> dun, dun so yes, um, awkward sleeveover movie for sure. Especially if you don't have a context of where it, what it's from, because I remember growing up that you know the video store uh, I used to go to and then worked at, we they would have individual sections for what was popular. So they had like different actor sections. Yeah. So they had like on an end cap, they had an Al Pacino, and then you Al Pacino, and then you'd look at all his stuff, and it was always near the bottom. That bottom, you know, they had like two. They had his like his With movie. On it. <laughs> yeah, no one would rent like the, <laughs> the, the shitty double box <laughs> tapes. You know, were like two ta- two VCR tapes, and there was like. It would, on that bottom row, it would always be, like, Scarecrow with him and Gene Hackman yeah. and, and what's-his-face that we talked about from The 7-Ups the, the in Invasion USA, and then Cruising. And then the last one would be that revolution, that mid '80s movie where he's like, uh, oh yeah, you know, it's like takes place where like in the Revolutionary War or something. And I don't, I've never even seen the movie to this I've day. I've never seen that one either. You know, but it was seems, like those movies. <laughs> it seems,
1: it seems like the idea of it is misplaced casting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <Revolution>. I haven't <laughs> seen it, so I can't. Yeah, it uh, could be like, very good.
2: Who knows? Um, you know, and it was always the cover I would see with it would be like an it was like, almost like a white box. And it was like a shitty 80s cover and it was that shot which i think you know is is the post the new poster that they've been using for the past 10 or so years but it's just the picture of it yeah it's not like done to any effect which is him looking uh you know and i think it's the scene with the when you know uh when the arms getting lubed up it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it looks like the shot that they used for the poster and that's um that's when he, you know, has his full uh, realization of what he's into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> his,
0: his old shit moment.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, what do you call it? So so that was the cover. So you, you, you had this, you know, this shot of Pacino in, like, say, medium close-up to close-up of him. And you could tell on his face, you know, what's he looking at? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's cruising. See, you know? The
1: one in my store it was, like, <clears throat> a screenshot from the movie. And it was like, to my recollection, it was like he was like leaning on something with like his arm up. And he got like the leather jacket, and he's got like the the hat on. Yeah. And so it was just like it was like a very intriguing. It's a like, what the fuck? It's a very interesting style. Movie. I, mean, I and remember, of course, we were teenagers,
2: so it never even occurred
1: to us to like read the back of the box. You're looking like oh, you're, go, not you're going good. strictly by picture. Yeah.
2: Or you turn it around, you just look at the back. Bo- <laughs> you look at the back picture. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the side, the, the uh, side box and the back box photos. Yeah. And and like, it, yes. This movie looks good. And if this, and if this was it, you, that would sell you right there if those were good pictures. Um, yeah, I, I always thought his outfit's, like, sweet in this movie. And I don't know if that means... I, I don't know what that would mean. But I always thought, like, it's such a great outfit. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's, you know, leather and stuff. Like, you know, we, you and I, in the in the early 90s, late 90s, and early 2000s, wore leather jackets and stuff. Yeah, but it was a very
1: different style.
2: Oh, yeah. We wore, like, the three-quarter length, like, kind of like, yeah. Well, this is a style that must have... You know, like, I don't know the history of it, but... Um what's all that biker, you know, like yeah. we in film school we saw that can anger well, That's what i was gonna say. Was Rising. Like, you know,
1: one of my favorite uh like experimental avant garde filmmakers um that we kind of discovered in college. I actually went and sat in on when we were freshmen I went in on sat on the in on that class with Greg, uh who was our teacher. Like it was an upperclassman class, but he was like, "Hey, we're showing some uh, crazy shit tonight." <laughs> Why don't you
2: I remember on? you did that. You, you and um... I was
1: like, it totally blew my mind. Like I totally like Ken Anger stuff. Was, I don't know for some reason. Like I found it fascinating. And so then when we ended up having that class a couple of years later, you know, I was very into. uh the Ken Anger stuff, I you know a lot of the other stuff I didn't get as much into, I, like Sam Brackage and stuff like that what yeah. didn't really speak to me. But for some reason, the Ken Anger stuff did, and Ken Anger was a, a gay filmmaker like in the '60s, and he was a Satanist, and uh, but his stuff just had uh, it was just I don't know it was it was out there. But yeah, like Scorpio Rising is a lot of this like biker, yeah stuff going on so i guess like in a way that was kind of like my introduction so like that style had been going on for a long time and then you get like into the 80s even you got like you know rob halford from like uh uh what's the band from it's the heavy metal band who's that's from uh birmingham other than sabbath oh Oh, oh man i can't believe i'm Anyway, so like he would get all dressed up in that. Not Zeppelin either. I mean, Zeppelin is not heavy metal, but Zeppelin's no, no, more. it was. It's a big one. I can't believe I can't f- think of the name of
2: it. From Birmingham, um, uh, uh,
1: British Steel was like what well, their big their big album. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's f- f- we'll get it I can Well, you know what? Uh, and then of course, like Freddie Mercury and stuff. Of would, course, would the village people of, and would add some of that into like the.
2: Uh, yeah, add to that little mystique of walking around with that. Well, you know. Uh, welcome to uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. I'm Dion Baia. That's Jay Blake. We're here tonight. Uh, as we said already, we're doing 1980s cruise movie Cruising uh, by director William Freakin, starring Al Pacino. You know? Judas Priest. Oh, Judas Priest. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They had that style, too. Yeah. Well, well it's Rob a very... Halford,
1: well, you know, that was the funny thing. It was because it was like that circumstance where everybody thought that, like, biker thing that Rob Halford was doing was, like, very tough. Yeah. But it turned out that he was, nobody realized that he was, like, this gay guy. <laughs> well, it was, was the, the Freddie
2: Mercury thing, too, where he was kind of, everybody thought of that was kind of, yeah. you know, he was a tough kind of guy. And then, I mean, I mean, it, it, I guess back then it was a lot more stigmatizing, hence the, 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 the thing around this, the stick around this movie. Yeah, like the, 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 studded, the studded, black leather stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it. we didn't really get too far into the, to the origins of it, why it was in uh, Homosexual Life, but... Uh, I would assume just like that ken anger stuff maybe i hope not ignorantly that that it would just because of the biker culture and then that was cool in the 50s and then into the 60s you know you're you're talking about ken Anger. ken anger was a what was just an experimental filmmaker who did all kinds of weird stuff but that scorpio rising he also was
1: a writer he wrote a book called hollywood babylon um around that time and he was a roommate of to my to if I I hope this is correct, but I, to my recollection, he was the roommate to Uncle Forey, Forrest Ackerman. Like, oh, really? They lived
2: together. That's a weird combination of people. We keep bringing him up all the time, Forrest Ackerman. Well, you know, he's kind he's of the man. originator of sleepover, <laughs> like uh, nostalgia. You're you right. Know? You're right. Yeah, with, with his like, magazines,
1: sponsors of Filmland or whatever, and
2: yeah, um, and yeah, well, anger, anger, anger. Ang- Ken Anchor was uh just to him and like you know, like you said brackage I kind of drifted a little more towards brackage because that one brackage uh short we watched the autopsy one was kind of uh, yeah that's
1: true kind I mean, of stuff, stuff, stuff what is it
2: see one through one's own eyes see horror through one's own eyes or to see what through one's own eyes and then he did a dog one which I didn't really care for but that was, I think, end up being used in the Nine Inch Nails video, Hurt. I think that was the the background to it, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's the one, like, his family pet passed away, so he put it in the backyard. He said, instead of burying it, I'm just going to come every day and shoot it, de- yeah. decomposing. And then he shot it decomposing over, like, and then, what was it, like a f- eight-minute video, right? Something like that. So yeah, it's like a well, film. Yeah, yeah film, yeah, yeah. So it's like, Jesus, you know, you're, <laughs> you're getting the whole ins and outs of this. Uh, so yeah, so these were guys that were doing things like this, and this this Ken Anger was um he he did a short where it was very much, I mean it wasn't R or X rated, no, and it was like it was all shot like uh, MOS, which they didn't really I think initially record the 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 filming with sound, I think it was it was in color, wasn't it? Well, that one was in color. Yeah, had
1: another one that was in black and white that we saw, um that one was in color, and I don't know to my recollection of it, I mean now it's been. Twenty years since yeah. I've seen it, so or almost twenty years, and um my recollection it was almost like a like a music video, yeah, it was kinda, very much I mean, it was just like footage of these guys
2: like guys in like a like a warehouse or some sort of like brick building, and they're just and it was all done to like uh early sixties like Girl bands or duos. So it was like the Charell Shangri La. So every time I hear that music, like the <laughs> Sherelle you know. Shangri La's or any <clears throat> of the Phil Spector bands, I always think of the Ken Anger stuff. And it's them, like like basically with the the guys with this these outfits, just you know, guy palling around in that way that. You would think, but I, then I don't remember it being overtly sexual. No, either. I don't think it is. I don't remember people, like, I don't remember guys making out or, I don't, you know, I don't yeah, his, remember it. His pre- the, the other
1: one we watched in black and white, and I, for some, it's late. So, yeah. my, our memories <laughs> were shot. was a slightly more sexual, but not like overtly, more suggestive. Compared to these, like, suggestive. You know, it was like. You know, like a young guy having, like, milk poured on him and stuff. To yeah, it was all... To, you know, it was like, more, uh, like, symbolic of sexuality than actual, like, pornography or anything. it's
2: like, poppy tunes, like, uh wait a minute, Mr. Postman, or, like, you know, uh, all those kind of things. Like, you know, the leader of the pack, all those kind of... So it was almost... It was... Uh, coincidentally or Incoincidentally Uncoincidentally It would kind of go And sometimes it wouldn't go The music Yeah up well the
1: music. P- my point is only that like
2: That was that style <clears> That <throat> this saw. was some
1: kind of like Underground Like Homosexual Not even underground But you know Just like a, a A section of Homosexuality A fashion that was going on Yeah That eventually I would assume you know wasn't so hardcore about, and it's a it
2: went originally in the inception but and then it, just, yeah, but then it just like kind of got a little more uh well, i think certainly in the 60s graphic. you had the that's how a lot of those you know the, the these kind of clubs and stuff looked like it was a lot more the guys with like switchblades and leather those kind of like 50s biker jackets, leather jackets. And then when you get into the sixties or into the seventies, and then this is 80, like you could, it's going somewhere, but you don't know really where it's going yet, you know? Um, and yeah, this is one of those movies that has like a big stigma behind it. Um, and I guess it's kind of still seeing like, it's still getting like a revival, you know, since it it was put out on a remastered on DVD in 2007 or nine, I think it was seven.
1: 2007. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, uh, and then, geez, what, two years ago, um, or was it th- maybe three years ago? No, maybe two years ago. Maybe a year ago. I don't know. The um, What's-his-face came out with that movie, Interior uh, oh, Interior Leather Franco. Bar. Yeah, which I just watched yesterday in preparation for this. Uh, did you see it? I didn't see it, no. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You know, yeah, I guess you could say it's interesting to say the least. <laughs> well,
1: what's the? I mean, not that this is not about that movie, but in like it plays five into it. sentences, like
2: I, what? What's... I don't know. It's it's kind of like I it's it's. I wouldn't say it's necessarily good or necessarily bad. But not like not the quality of it, but like what's it about? It's just about the the. It's it's. You think it's about them? Supposedly, you know, what we'll get into here is like there's like about forty minutes of deleted footage that uh, freaking talks about that he had to, to edit out. Yeah. Because the censors wouldn't allow it because it was too graphic even for back then, um, which isn't saying much because a lot was graphic for back then. So they go, they kind of set out to to recreate that footage. But then, so it's a,
1: is it like it's done it, like a documentary? Yeah,
2: it's a complete documentary. So it's about like basically it's about guys that are that set
1: out to recreate.
2: No, it's not even about that. Which is, this is this is where kind of like you know f- for me being the old man kind of annoys me about it because they're just using and this is my own opinion, they're just using cruising as a vehicle. And they're, P- Franco is proposing this idea that, like, why isn't this... Because social norms have brought us up for the past, however, since the modern culture of, you know, a guy-girl marriage, that's normal, and this isn't, then we should either forcefully or willingly expose ourselves to, like, the extremists to, to make that normality. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. And then it, it's... it's it, you know, and it's kind of like... I don't even... Think he fully understands what he really wants out of it either, because it becomes him and his friend, the director, who uh, seems like a really nice guy. They get another guy, and then they try to recreate these these scenes. But they also go, go into it saying, "Hey, look, you know, because of the budget and because of the restrictions we have, we're not even going to be trying to do this shot for shot. We're just going to have to try to do this in the spirit of." But it's more of an explanation of what you can get on a film. So there's not even like a like even like a you know a narrative of it's more <laughs> becomes of like the shock value of yeah. seeing so you get to see like you know freaking X-rated stuff you see guys blowing each other and all this stuff and it's so it's kind of like it. and then they get the, um, and it's a feature length huh? no it's 60 minutes yeah uh, and like Franco's they get Franco's friend who's an actor who's, who Franco's been friends with for like say 15 years to play the Pacino role and he's not really playing Pacino he's playing Pacino's character and you know so, and he's heterosexual, so he's not even comfortable. He's comfortable because he's an actor, but he then he doesn't really even understand what they're actually doing there either. And then it becomes the, the it becomes is this actually a bona fide documentary you're watching about them doing this, or is this a a mock documentary yeah. mock fiction where they're just having because there's a there's a part or two where they actually repeat a line like can you re- so it sounds like casual conversation like you and i are having but then with all the cameras around like can you just ask him ask him something else so it kind of like oh wait a minute is the whole thing just a joke you know like a like a you know you think it they're having these conversations but this has all been rigged too and yeah you know so it it annoys me because i would think if they were doing this originally they would try to maybe uh, you know why don't they try to contact Freak and interview him or why don't well, they apparently try to I do i read
1: this thing in preparation for this where uh Freakin had said that he had heard that they were doing it. Yeah. Apparently, Franco has been wanting to remake the movie. According to this article, Friedkin says this, that Franco had been wanting to remake Cruising, and for some reason he couldn't. So he decided to make this film about this, you know, uh, omitted 40 minutes of footage, and, and they started shooting it. And he said at some point, Franco actually called him and was like, ah, uh, did you hear that I'm making this movie about the 40 and uh, minutes and Friedkin's like, Yeah, I, I heard about it. And he's like, Well well what is it? And Freakin's reaction is like not to Franco but the reaction to like the interviewer is like who,
2: who asked that? Frankie Freakin asked Franco that or Franco asked Franco asked Friedkin, well what are the forty minutes? Oh okay. Like what
1: were they? Yeah. And the end, Freakin's reaction not to Franco but to the interview was like and here's a guy, he's asking me now and they've already been shooting the movie. <laughs> And so Freakin tells him, it, and I've seen this in a couple of places, that they we're actually way ahead of ourselves here with this 40 minutes. Um, but uh, fr- Freakin claims that the 40 minutes was really just, like, pornography. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, it was nothing. It was pornography. It was just, like, you know. And that's why Freakin, has, was, say, for Freakin has said, like, it's not a big loss to the movie. And, like, he had actually found somebody who claimed that they had the footage. And uh, freaking never really pursued it. He's like, because it was just, it was like pornographic
2: well, I had, material. I read initially that for the 2007 uh, remaster, he wanted to try to acquire it and put it back in to make a director's cut. But then he found out that United Artists, who I know Warner put the movie out initially, so maybe either United had a part in putting it out or owns it now, yeah. they said they lost or destroyed the footage. So... There was like, oh, what the heck! But that's my contention with the James Frankel thing. It's like some points where you're you're watching this, he's like laughing, giggling uncomfortably, or you know. So it's like it almost kind of you know, it's not, it's not like I'm casting aspersions or trying to judge anybody, but it just kind of sent like like you know, just because he can, he he has the ability to do it. It's like let's just do it, and it's yeah. just like, well, there's not even like a thought through idea, and it doesn't become at the end of the day about cruising at all. He's just using that. To, to to just be able to highlight this idea but at the same time it's it's kind of like he he doesn't really knock the movie but he starts talking about you know that why this stuff was deleted was because it was so shocking and that's the problem with kind of culture nowadays whereas you know it's like back then that was the 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 way that the you know our our, our Pacino's character's reaction you know, for us watching him into this world and seeing this extreme was the reason why they kind of set it in that. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, you know, calling any of that behavior wrong. Yeah. You know, it was just well, like it's shot.
1: It's it's that's the interesting thing. You know, it's, one of the interesting it's shocking
2: things. about. It's it's shocking to Pacino because Pacino's character that had never seen this before. Yeah. And that's why it's shocking to society because it hasn't been showcased to society. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know. People's intentions were misled, so you know it's just it becomes it's like he just it's like almost like let's me and you let's just shoot like you know deleted scenes of Caligula to have people fuck just because we want to watch people. I don't you know I don't don't see there's really no point. So it's just really for shock though. Yeah, and then like a lot of people don't even know the source material. Like they're they're talking to an extra, and they, the extra's like, "No, I've never seen cruising," you know. And, and then the the character who's playing the Pacino is trying to explain to him. And he's like, "Well, you know, I, I you know watching the dailies," and the guy's like, "What's a daily?" And he's like, he tries to explain to him what a daily is, and it's like. You know, I would think if people who, unless you're having a casting call for people who are coming that day or whatever, I would think that, hey, listen, in preparation for this, go watch this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Get You know what I mean? I get you. So it's like, you <laughs> know, right. so it's kind of, it, it, I I sat down on like a Saturday afternoon to like, you know, take some time to watch this movie. And I thought it would be a thought-provoking, interesting documentary that might even talk about the movie more as opposed yeah. to just have it be a jumping off platform to show some, you know, gay Pornography, which, hey, you know, I've never really seen any gay pornography before. So
1: there you <laughs> it's go. Yeah,
2: okay, they do it just like us. <laughs>
1: so we got. Uh, so I don't know. We got sidetracked really early
2: on here. So that uh, is a uh, that is the movie called uh, Interior Leather Bar. If you want to go see it, I saw it. It's streaming as of now on Netflix. Okay, you can watch yeah. it for free, which is another interesting thing. Like, wow. That's streaming, so your kid can be like, hey, let me get a play. Whoa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so today we're doing uh, Cruising. Came out in 1980, directed by William Friedkin. Good old Billy. Based on a book by the same title. Well, yeah. I guess per, supposedly loosely based on a book. Yeah, by, by, by
2: Gerard Butler. came out in 1970, the book, Cruising.
1: Now, uh, the movie itself is, uh, and, and I guess the the book, is about a young police officer who is asked to go undercover into this kind of like black leather gay uh club scene in New York City to try to catch a killer that's killing gays of his body type yeah and so it's very much it's very much uh you know there's a there's a common you know there's a little bit of a subgenre of like these undercover cop movies if you look at like something like this or donnie brasco um rush from the early 90s this idea
2: of that that what's that biker one with like something in the marlboro man or what the other one there's some weird one word though lance henriksen's in it where it's like a undercover maybe uh what's his face the uh, uh, Charlie Sheen, remember? You know Charlie Sheen goes undercover as a, as a, in a biker gang. <laughs> you know that one. I
1: vaguely remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, th- there's this common thread of uh, them going into this these scenarios. This this particular scene, like in Rush, it's about drugs, and Donnie Brasco, it's about the mob, and this is has to go into like the the gay underground kind of New York. Uh, a little bit of extreme and how uh, those scenarios, those things affect the person, the the police officers that that, that that is being put under. And so this is very much one of those movies, but it's a kind of a brilliant uh, backdrop for a murder mystery. And, and, and the book and stuff kind of a little bit inspired by uh, truth. Yeah. was that there was a, was like a 10year period or something right where there were
2: yeah there was a series of killings in uh in the city in this in the mid 60s and um, uh, we the friend of us here uh, Randy Jurgensen, who we've talked about on a bunch of podcasts here and we have what two two interviews out on him and we actually have an interview him of him with about all this that we're, we're, we're thinking of putting out maybe uh after this podcast is like a little special. Uh, that he talks yeah, about an interview that you had done with him a long time ago, yeah, that
1: we might kind of reissue here as a sidecast,
2: yeah, from twenty twelve and uh, he talks about um the history he actually goes through the story I think it might be one of the only times he goes through the story succinctly and gets the kind of time to explain it and I don't wanna I guess then you know uh give it all away here if yeah, we want I'll people to go yeah the, <laughs> the interview because it's really fascinating, <coughs> but I guess for you know like a quick Oh geez, there's that boat going Excuse by. Me. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, but but but. To, to to just give you a summary of it, I mean, he you know he became a uh, he was a, a patrolman. I mean, it's was very undercover. much his story, in a, in, in yeah, a lot and that's of ways. what I don't, parallels his story. And I don't know if if I wonder the, the person Gerard Butler who wrote the book that the, of the same name from nineteen seventy. I wonder that person was like an editor or like a cultural editor at the New York Times. So I don't know if that person was actually writing a fictional book about this real case because it happened they. Jurgensen's Jergensen ca- case happened before the book was published. Yeah. So I wonder if the person was using the real case as source material. I so, would you imagine know, so. Because it, it's so, it's almost, it, it, it can't be a coincidence how identical they are to, to a certain point. So a lot of people will slag off the movie cruising because it deviates from the book. But Jurgensen... William Freakin had known this this detective, Randy Jurgensen, from, he met him for, he was uh, a detective who we've talked about in the past, who was actually on the French Connection case, so he was brought on as an advisor for the French Connection. They did, and then they developed this friendship through the 70s because then that opened up Detective Jurgensen into the Hollywood world and helping movies uh, film in New York City in the 70s. So he did a lot of, which are now like groundbreaking or, you know, like guerrilla grind movies yeah. that are, well, I mean, you know, we
1: did an episode of one of my favorite movies and I know a movie you're also fond of, Maniac.
2: I mean, yeah, he had a, to do that. He, he you
1: helped know, out on Maniac. You know, he did, a, Sorcerer's, one of your favorite movies which isn't a New York movie but it's like it's a William Freakin' movie that, that Jurgensen he, was also kind of associated yeah, with. and he helped
2: to do the original Godfather, he helped do um, the Seven Ups here, um, a lot of big things in the 70s, into the 80s, you know, he ended up having a second career in Hollywood so since Freakin' and him had developed this friendship, um Randy had was going back to the mid 60s he was he had just got uh undercover uh he was out of uniform and he was doing some stuff that we talk about in the interview and then they 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 kind of uh grab him and no one really knows him they bring him down to one police plaza and they say hey you know uh there's there's what's going on is there is uh homosexuals are being sh- uh, shaken down and this is the time period where uh gay people were very much still in the closet to a certain extent, especially in mainstream America. And it wasn't something you'd, the the culture that you'd openly say, talk about in, in most, um, you know, um, I guess, uh, uh, mainstream circles so at first uh, sadly, you know, uh, society and culture and even down to the, p- the police department were kind of ignoring or not paying as much attention to these, these shakedowns that were happening but then what got their attention and then kind of sadly then they had to react and this is no... Uh, a condemnation of Jurgensen at all because he was assigned to it, so it's the upper brass. It was kind of conveyed to them that they thought it was a police, a team of two cops doing it. They called them a salt and pepper team, a black guy and a white guy. And uh, that's when Jurgensen was brought in because that's when, sadly, the cops got interested. The brass said, hey, look, we think there are police doing this. And there's a...
1: But it was like the shakedowns were like making them like give them money yeah you know like take out like empty out their bank accounts or kind of almost like blackmail the parents yeah because back back then of
2: course we had no atms and we touched upon this in the dirty harry podcast there's a great uh frank sinatra movie called the detective uh that takes place in 68 in new york city and uh robert duvall's along in it along with Jacqueline passett and uh um Frank Sinatra is a cop, but it has to, it has a little to do about this. But the reason I reference it is because on the west side of, of New York and on the west side highways, that used to be a huge hangout were actually on the docks. You'd see they'd have like the tractor trailer trucks there overnight just hanging out. And they'd have like, you know, scores of these tractor trailer trucks and their trailers there. So what uh, the gay culture used to do is they'd go into these trailers and have parties and stuff like that. So that was if you wanted if you were into that scene, you would either go to these bars that were on the west side and the meatpacking districts or go out to along the water would be where these um these trailers were so we had this team of uh the salt and pepper team of of what we thought were policemen um shaking down these guys and what they were doing was they were taking them and they were you know like you're saying they're actually you know You know, back then prior to ATMs, you couldn't just go to an ATM machine and get money out. You'd have to wait till a bank opened in the morning and they were saying, Hey, you know, we want money or we're going to arrest you or whatever. And, uh, you know, almost all the times it would work. So um, Randy then had to, then him and another good fellow went undercover and uh, they didn't work together in tandem, like live together, but they kind of, I think, went on different ends of the spectrum and infiltrated and you were able to like maybe make contact. And this is another thing too, is I never really asked Randy about it because it's not really my business. I didn't want to be like, you know, did you make out with anybody or got you know, anything was because it's, yeah, but you think about, you know, he's telling me this story. So he was positioned, they set him up in an apartment in the West village. He went undercover. His name became, I think he said was sparkles and he went undercover and he became part of this world. And I think he was in it for a couple of years doing this. Yeah. And then he would meet once a month. He worked at a bar. His cover was, he worked at a bar in West Harlem and he'd meet like his informant captain there. And he would kind of debrief, get debriefed by this captain about what was going on. And he'd get paid once a month. And he, you know, this, this whole thing, very much like how cruising is. Yeah. So when he's telling me about these interviews in this interview, it is 50 years removed. So I think time will, you know kind of uh soften any anything but you think about just hearing him talk about it and saying like him uh recollecting talking to the to the person he'd get debriefed on once a month he was saying like i don't remember being what what it is to be a cop anymore i don't see the, the line is so blurred yeah so i think it kind of had to do something to his psyche which very yeah, much I is mean, this
1: you know we don't know i mean the freaking decides to Freaking reads the book and doesn't want to do the movie.
2: So you know what? Let me finish that story. So what ends up eventually happening is is, – I don't want to give it all away, so we want you to next week when we drop this to listen to the interview. But Randy – eventually it's because of Randy they catch these two guys. And then they're charged – they're brought to trial, and then what what starts happening is when they go to trial, all the people that were they were that were being sh- uh, shaken down eventually started being murdered. They were just showing up um, in the river and what was happening is they were getting just body parts were being um, were being uh, discovered like an arm and a leg and um, there's a term for that where when you when they find a body part and they don't know who it is or what the cause of death was, they call these cuppies. And Cuppie, uh, U, uh, CUPPI, C U P P I stands for circumstances unknown, pending police investigation. So, uh, then they were people were assigned to try to figure out who these people were and why they were being killed. And a lot of them turned out to be the victims of these, uh, of these, these uh, uh, ransom crimes. And uh, it ended up being called the bag murders because they were being discovered in bags and very open places and they never got the guys on on the bag murders but they got them on all the um, all the the other stuff like that so and then then randy got a promotion from that he became detective and then he went on with his career but you know it was a very you know very weird life uh you know you think about especially at the time when in the mid-60s that's something where you know mainstream america is not at all it wasn't 1980. You know when when yeah. this movie takes place, so it's a very different time, as well as it's very much more like the Scorpio Rising. We yeah. were talking about the Ken Anger, that kind of a thing, as opposed to yeah. 1980. But. Like Randy says, like you know, we're, I guess I'll quote him directly from the from the uh, interview. He's saying, you know, these aren't the the, the homosexual men who on a Saturday night, uh, you know, holding hand in hand, singing Barbara Streisand tunes at a bar. Who, you know, each guy is richer than the next guy. That's I'm not talking about that. You know, th- those guys that, that are contributions to society or whatever. You know, he's talking about these are the the people who are into the in any kind of whatever you're into. There's always extremes, and these yeah. are the people who are into the extreme, like we see in this movie, that they're into well, the. Well, just I mean, you know, there's,
1: you know, there's the extremes of heterosexuals. Yeah, sex exactly. Also,
2: yeah. So it's like there, it's just the, the 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 segment of people who were into this kind of uh, lifestyle, and then it was kind of got kind of dangerous when you go down that road, and then yeah. you know you go to these places that are. That, you know, from now we get into the movie cruising at that time, that th- these places were exactly like that. You think, like, this extravagance in this movie is kind of like a... Uh, in any way, kind of um, taking liberties, and it isn't. I mean, you know, this is right before AIDS.
0: Yeah. So
2: this is, like, the heyday of being a gay man, you know, in the in the village in, in that time. I mean, you were having... This is, like, freaking, like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, no pun intended. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, so... So, so then, uh,
1: yeah, kind of... Th-
2: the book is he, brought to Freakin.
1: Freakin reads the book. He doesn't originally want to do it. He ends up doing it, but under the under the suggestion, under the kind of, uh, under the guise of like, I'll do it if I can change it. Yeah. You know, like we can use the title. It's the basic premise. I think it's a great idea to set a murder mystery kind of against this scene. But he what he was saying, and it was how, it, you know, linked to what you're talking about with Randy, is that in his mind <clears throat> the scene had changed so much since when the book was written yeah which would have been the time that Randy was undercover that he didn't want to do it you know uh against the scene of the book but wanted to make it a more modern like, to see what's going on yeah. now which is you know i guess much more ex- ex- probably much more extreme um and he ends up w he wants to do that and then shift away from the source material a little more and make it a little bit of more based on things that Randy has told him.
2: Yeah, and it became, instead of the setup of first the extortion case and then during the trial, the, the bag murders, which the whole thing ended up being called, he kind of blends the two together and it becomes a... Uh, you know a serial killer doing this and a serial killer directly from the start preying on these people which is it's, you know it's a it's a fascinating idea and even though at that time by 77 or 78 when they started in pre-production for this movie randy was retired randy then is like he was able to do in all these other 70s movies you know um the mob at the time owned all these gay bars on the lower west side and randy knew all these guys from being a cop and then being a high-profile cop who you know was in the godfather and all this stuff so he helped Jurgensen, Jurgensen, Jurgensen helped um, freaking then be able to go see these places, go there for, for, to try to get the feel for the scene as well as ultimately film in these places too, which is another great, you know, because a lot of people, you know, we'll get into the controversy of the film, but a lot of people say like, you know, the gay establishment was against it and all that. And that's true, but there was the other half of the gay establishment that was very much for it, let them film in, in these places. And then I'd say like 80% of the, the actors in the film in these scenes are, um, you know, just uh, uh, actual, customers, you know, customers guy. at the the club that were showing up that night or, you know, the, the extras. Yeah. So it's not like they were getting heterosexual st- ex- extras like you made today, like we were just saying for this interior gay bar James Franco movie. They were getting people to time who were doing that so they felt perfectly comfortable doing all this. Yeah, You know, so it was kind of like lightning in a bottle for that too. So it was very yeah. much fractured 50-50 on if people for it and against it, you know, so... It became very interesting that then freaking like you said he 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 wasn't interested because Jerry Weintrapp had brought it to him had the property uh, freaking passed they brought it to Spielberg Spielberg was kind of interested but they couldn't get a studio to, to to figure it out and then after I'd say Exorcist or maybe after and De Palma the, really wanted to do it De Palma it. really wanted to do it too but then for some reason he couldn't f- work it out so then he ended up going to make body double not body double sorry dressed to kill mm. uh, which is kind of you know it's, you're stepping kind of at the toes into this territory. Yeah,
1: I mean it's definitely uh New oh. York serial killer movies around the same time of this, period
2: of of dealing with the mm-hmm. kind of a sexual nature. Yeah, of this kind of a, of this uh arena. And then when you I think had maybe done the Brinks the Brinks job or just finished Sorcerer. He probably just finished Sorcerer in 77 and Sorcerer was a flop for him and then that's when they reapproached him with this and Randy had literally just finished working on this on sorcerer with him hand in hand and Randy said, you know, on the plane right back. He's like, "What do you think of this?" and Randy's like, "Hey, you know, I can this would be great. We can collaborate. I'll tell you, you know, all this stuff and then yeah. I think, you know, he was like, "That's a great idea," you know. And then
1: I mean, he's he's got a fairly substantial role in the part. I mean, it's not like a lead,
2: but talk about Randy. Yeah. Yeah, Randy plays one of the 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 crew or the detectives that are assigned with with cuz Pacino, Pacino then goes undercover. Uh, headed by Paul Sorvino's character, who's the captain, who kind of recruits Pacino because Pacino's an unknown. He's just a uniformed officer. He fits the uh, the the physical. physical description of the of the people getting murdered, and uh, Pacino's motivation to do it is because you know he can skip being a uh, you know in a patrol car or being uh, you know like a patrolman. He can make detective. He can get his gold shield. So he says, "Sure, why not do it?" So it's. Uh, he goes undercover in part of the team. It's Jurgensen working with him along with um, Sonny Grasso, who's the partner of Eddie Egan, who was in The French Connection because Eddie Egan was uh, in The French Connection, was Popeye Doyle's character. So it's him, Sonny Grasso, and then it's uh, a very young Ed O'Neill yeah. in there as well. Um, um, but then also because of him being
1: on set and being a part of it, like he was also there uh, to kind of like answer, obviously, Freakin's questions, but also Pacino's questions about
2: like... Yeah, is this what really would you
1: wear this like yeah you,
2: <laughs> you <do>? know <laughs> all that kind of weird all the yeah all the kind of tech technical yeah, like, like you know how, how would
1: you go about doing this technical
2: advisor questions as long as as also procuring the you know the sets and the filming locations and all that yeah. so it's it's kind of fascinating the, the story behind it that gets it that gets you into this movie and i mean i could see why at the time it being controversial because oh, of course i mean it would be con it would be i don't you, who knows if you can even get this movie done You know, in in the way it was made today. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think think it would be... In a way, like, I think it would be... If you tried to do
1: this movie today, it would be uh, less
2: shocking, but
1: still controversial, I think.
2: But I wonder, see, how since cinema nowadays is completely splintered, you know who knows if you wanted to try to get this out as a mainstream oh, movie. No, it nowadays, would be an indie. That's what I'm saying. Guy, yeah. And then since it was an indie thing, you might then be able to get away with then having it be, you know, completely X-rated. You might actually see all the, like the, the interior leather bar. Yeah. You might be able to see intercourse and, and blow jobs and stuff. So I don't know if that would detract from it because I don't know. I wonder at the end of the day, if freaking kept that 40 minutes in, he had to have known going to sh- screen it in front of the MPAA. That they wouldn't... Well, you know, sometimes... So I don't know. So, think, I'm wondering... I feel
1: like we talked about... Uh, I talked about this with somebody recently. I guess I, for some reason I thought it might have been on the show. But it. there's this... But I don't think it was. Sometimes directors will... I mean, I do it, to uh, obviously, in a different way to a certain extent, even in editing. Yeah. Which is like, when you're about to submit something, for me, it's like to get notes from the network. Or, like, I you put stuff in so that they will flag it yeah because if you everybody feels like they have to they have to flag something or they're not doing their job like they have to give you notes so even if you give it to them like pristine they're gonna note they're gonna nitpick about stuff that you don't want to change so i could see freaking putting it in and be like we'll put it in they'll flag that stuff
2: and then we'll that will keep the, that.
1: we'll take it then we'll take it out
2: and it'll look like we're doing and our And it, it looks like
1: we addressed their notes, but we'll get away. That's interesting. With other stuff. Yeah. I mean, it happens with blood. It happens a lot with like sexual stuff. you like, they'll make the sex scene more graphic than even they intended it being. Yeah. And that way, they can get away with the way they really wanted it to be by being like, well, we addressed your notes. So it's like, we, <laughs> yeah. you know, we did what you asked us to yeah, do. We took out what you wanted, all the gay So porn. I could see Friedkin kind of pulling that. 40 minutes is excessive.
2: Yeah, so I don't, so, well, he, so so I don't mean, know if that's true. In different interviews, he's said. I mean, I don't of, know
1: if that's the, his reasoning, but...
2: Uh, in, in different interviews, he's kind of said, first he said it was, a lot of it was pornography, but then the other interviews he said it was kind of twists and turns and also um, Pacino's kind of... Uh, wrapping his head around the world, and that's yeah. what you kind I heard of
1: heard. The Karen, I also heard something that like Karen the, Allen's yeah.
2: character got cut. A lot of her stuff that. is is on this floor too, and that's what kind of shows up in that gay leather bar movie that you see. The guy who's playing Pacino's character, you know, showing problems, you know, with trying to deal with this world, which I would think that'd be something that, I don't know. To me, Pacino's character, for some reason in Cruising, seems a bit more realistic in his, you know, once you get into you kind of know what you're getting into when you go to these things, so you don't want to go there and then look like you're freaked out by it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I would, I would think that you'd want to delete him being more like taken aback. I mean, he's going to be taken aback, certainly in the scene that we said looks like the, the, the look, been, been the, the cover art, the yeah. poster. You could we could tell internally he's freaked out, but you can't physically show this. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, if, if if they had entire scenes where you know Pacino's running out, like I don't know, like you know what I mean? Like I don't think yeah, it yeah. Would well, play I mean, you should well. say I
1: think at this point. You know, like if you haven't seen this movie, I think at this point we're probably gonna start spoiling. Yeah. As we go forward into like the story and, and what's going yeah. on with this character, there's gonna be spoilers. I mean, we've
2: explained what the story is about. I mean, the yeah. movie is about us. there's a, someone, there's a guy but killing. It, but as we
1: get into more specifics, I, you yeah. Know. So at this point, you're warned.
2: <laughs> yeah. Dun dun dun. And I, you know, and I'd be, I'd be, uh, I think pretty of uh, correct in saying that like. even for Pacino fans there's a lot of people who haven't seen this movie maybe because it was out of print for so long and then maybe as well as now they hear about what it's about they may not want to see it and you know like we said nowadays when you don't have the advent of walking through the video store physically picking up boxes and reading them it's a lot more uh, kind of like uh uh, uh, depersonal of it, you know yeah, yeah. people may not give a movie a chance as they would have before you know unless it 's streaming unless they, it's the, you know I can hit play right now and watch it yeah, let 's do it yeah. but if it 's something like i 'm going to go buy it or i 'm going to go rent it and it 's got to physically come in the mail in a disc, people may not see this movie so i 'd say along with you know like we said well, those the, movies we mentioned at the beginning, of the Pacino movies like Scarecrow and the other Revolution uh, you know this may be a movie that a lot of people haven 't seen in this yeah, catalog yeah.
1: i hadn 't seen it until I don't know. After it came out on DVD, yeah. I, I didn't see it on video. You know, it would. It's really interesting to think of like what I would have thought about it had I seen it at the time when Jesus. I was getting very into yeah. Pacino and uh, De Niro, and even like. <sighs> that's even before i mean that's as i'm starting to get into horror movies but that's not that's before i really get into horror movies and start taking them like really seriously getting into things like martin or maniac so yeah. it, that would have even predated that yeah so i don't have no idea how i would have taken this movie i i i personally was never uh you know like uh, Gay stuff never really bothered me. Like I was, you know, I never even as like youth, I, you know, it was like I was never uncomfortable with like that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that stuff would have uh, really bothered me much. But I, I really have no idea how I would have reacted to it.
2: Um, but how about at the, the more at the sleepover the, age? The, what the basic more elements of it being a thriller, a, a police, you know, seventies thriller? Of yeah. That, you know, yeah. serial killer is. I mean, I feel like it. it's
1: very more. I mean, I think it's. You know, I say it's like before the horror stuff because, uh, for me, I mean, it, it's not a horror. I wouldn't classify this as a horror movie, but you know, the, the aspect of serial, like getting being interested in in serial killer movies and stuff was not something that I have. I was into at that point. Um, I, I don't know if I would have disliked it. I it's. I don't know how I would have reacted to it. I don't think I would have. Uh, I would have hated it. I probably would have found it interesting, but I didn't really see it until. You know, after it came out on DVD. So I I do have to say that when I watched it, I really fucking loved it the first time. Yeah. I liked it more the first time than I did this viewing. Yeah. Um, And that's not to say I disliked it this viewing, but I think being cold, being fresh on it, um, uh, it just was like very. Uh, it impacted, you know, it was impactful. It it really so we should kind of probably struck a chord
2: for me. We should probably stop down and let everyone know. Going for I full disclosure fucking love this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay so okay so we're, you, you, you're gonna so find so we are talking to two fans yeah so you're gonna find two fans who like the movie and then we're fans that we have connections to the movie that we know yeah. Jurgensen he, we, he, we've we interviewed him for this uh, podcast and you even
1: know Baden who uh, was the- I
2: know that's another thing I know Michael Baden from where I work Um, I was trying to figure all this out and like it, it, it gets to the point where on, on this podcast I don't wanna be like oh you know we were hanging out with because it's kinda like oh fuck you <laughs> you know like you're just throwing name dropping but like it's like You know, I've met Freakin before and I I talked to Freakin of... In conversation about this and Joe Spinell, who's in this movie, and then about Randy, and then uh, I've met Paul Servino several times too because his wife um, was a contributor where I work. So I've brought him b- brought this role up to him too, and and Randy to yeah. him too. So it's like almost like the six or seven degrees of, and you met James Remar, who plays a very small <laughs> role in this movie. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, lot of really, you know, and my wife, really a lot of really recognizable
1: little tied like small parts of this.
2: Uh, my wife brought up a very interesting. Um, uh, thing she reminded me that when we watched it, she's like, you know, bring this up to Blake and see what he thinks about this this um, theory, and I can't bring it up now because it, it happens near the end, no. about the James Remar character. But yeah, so it. and then this is the reason why we bring uh, Dr. Michael Bodden up, for people who don't know, he's a uh, very, very well-renowned uh, New York City pathologist who um, did a lot of high-profile fr- cases. He was part of the Warren Commission in the late 70s when they did the like uh, re-examining of all the JFK evidence for the f- for the actual like how the definitive what happened to JFK was it a conspiracy or was it Oswald a lone gunman so he he did that he he um, autopsy did the post-mortems on very, uh, many, many, many uh, celebrities like um, Sid Vicious, uh, his his girlfriend Nancy, um, I think William Holden. And, and now he's semi-retired, but he still uh, is always brought in to, to as a, uh, uh, um, what do you call that, as an expert. Yeah. Uh, I would say,
1: I mean, for me, I knew him. About 10 years ago, HBO had a show, I think,
2: called Autopsy. Yeah, on HBO. And I was,
1: like, totally fascinated with that It's such a great show. And it wasn't like he was the host, but he was, like, the common...
2: Yeah. He would
1: would kind of introduce the idea of the... the, They were real-life murders. Yeah, either ones that he
2: did or ones that people he knew did. And then he would kind of be, like, do the wraparounds. So he would explain the cases he worked with, or he would talk... He would just give, like, little, like, uh, you know, three-minute... Things about and there was
1: a time when I was, I wanted to do a, a mockumentary, uh, a horror movie, yeah, about a, you know, a fictional case. And I was like, I wanted to get the guy from HBO to be in it. Dion's like, I know that
2: guy, <laughs> yeah, he's like, You might, we might be able to get him to do it. So I we asked him about it. it, he's like, Yeah, I do it. And that's always my, I always, he always, to me, I always do Christopher Walken. Like, yeah, of course. You know, so if we ever make a movie with as Dr. Michael Bodden, Dr. Michael Bodden's, um. Going to be played by Christopher Walken. And his wife ends up being the lawyer who is in, you remember the uh, Al Pacino movie, the Phil Spector movie, Wall of Sound? Uh-huh. Well, uh, Al Paci- his wife in it is the, the Helen Mirren character. That's his wife in real life because uh, she was the lawyer, whoever that ended up, you know, I think defending Phil Spector when he went mm-hmm. on trial. So it's, it's he is very weird, and he's in a whole, you know, a lot of people know him. Like I said, um, this HBO show I think is also streaming. It's uh, on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's only like two discs I think it's amazing it's very good if you're into any of this kind of thing forensics real life yeah kind of thing it is but a must connection
1: to cruising so yes.
2: is that this I think might be the first and only time that a movie was allowed and did photograph inside the medical examiner's office in New York City so um th- at the beginning of it they're actually in the uh you know, the pathologist's office. And yeah. it's because at the time, uh, freaking or freaking, uh, Baden was working, you know, as one of the, as the chief medical examiner. And he knew Randy because he had helped Randy out in a lot of cases. So Randy had the hookup. And then, you know, it's, it's, I, then a couple years ago, Randy did a, f- a film, uh, in the eighties called heart, which is out of print with Brad Davis, who ended up dying of AIDS, who people will know from what is that midnight? Um, uh, well, Express. Yes, you know the the, the pers- Oliver Stone movie. Uh, is it Midnight Express? Yeah, is it the one where the the guy gets to jail and then uh-huh. with the with the nipple against yeah, the yeah. yeah. He's the lead in that movie, and uh, his brother's actually in this movie that we'll talk about. He's he's plays uh, Gene Davis. He's the cross-dressing blonde uh-huh. guy. Um, but so Randy had a, he has a surviving print of this movie, and it's also Steve Buscemi's first role, and it's. Um, he screened it down uh, at, a, at a place down in the village here that I came to, and I told Bodden about it. I was like, hey, Randy's having a screen. He's like, oh, I haven't seen Randy in years. So I told him, you know, a lot of these people that we were just talking about before the catch, you'll tell them something, you know, they'll never, you know. But Baden showed up, yeah. and I was so happy. I was like, look who's here. And I was like, you know, <laughs> and I, I had reunited. They hadn't seen each other in like 10 years or 12 years. It's
1: like, go listen to our Dick Smith cast for another reuniting. Of, yeah,
2: the of, of famous friends. makeup artist Dick Smith with our, with our guy Howard Enders, our old uh, writing right. teacher from, from college. So it's like you know, I again I fear that people when they listen to this cast, like oh these people name dropping but it's just like hey you know what if we have these connections why not bring yeah. them up on these I mean casts? that's not like you're
1: saying like oh
2: fucking like George I Schoenberg. was I was doing a postmortem <laughs> with Doctor Button and, and I, said, I mean you know
1: they're ca- you know for the most part they're casual acquaintances I mean you know Randy a little bit better because you've interviewed him quite a few times but uh, um, yeah I mean it's a, it's a fascinating. Yeah, Uh, I mean, to to rewind just a little bit. So, like, yeah, you're talking to two guys that really enjoy this movie. So I will say, though, that... um, And and again, like,
2: to plug next week's interview is that we have uh, some pretty exclusive, you know, backstory about the backstory of this movie, which really hasn't been put to, you know, I mean, you can go research and there's some speculation about it, but it kind of gets really weird if you look at one source material, say, on Wikipedia to, like, uh, IMDb. So it's kind of hard to... You know, so when you—it's it cool be, when you're talking from the horse's yeah. mouth. Are oh, you talking about getting them both together? No, no, I'm just saying. I, I've been telling that. I was like I would love to do a podcast where I can have you both sit down, and then they were just like you. You supply the coffee, we'll come. because I, I, like, oh. I think it would be great
1: for you to. Uh, I mean, he talked. He, he talk in the in the interview that you're talking about. He does. You know, obviously, he talks about c- cruising, um, but I think it would be really. I personally would love to hear an interview where you sit down with him and just like just talk about that. I mean, you don't have to get into, know. into like the nitty gritty stuff that we were yeah. yeah kind of mentioned the reason why you didn't ask him, but just more about um, like the making of the movie uh, and stuff like that. I think I would personally would would yeah. f-
2: find it fascinating. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a kind of guy now who he's uh, he's one of these uh, I don't know what you call him, but he's like you know he's he's uh, he's over eighty. Yeah. But he's a guy like, I don't know if you can say a guy like Clint Eastwood, but you you think of these people who were... In their 80s, but they're just so young looking. Yeah. You know, you to me when, when I'm with him, he looks like he's in his 60s. So I'm like, I'm crossing my fingers. And that this he, is the man like he didn't live a hard life, you know? What yeah, I mean? you know. And then he, <laughs> it, you
1: know, usually guys guys that were that lived the kind of life that he did. The stress of being a police detective, the stress of being an undercover cop, and then in, in the
2: most violent era of New York City's yeah. history, and, and then and,
1: the, and then probably a little bit of excess once he becomes kind of, once he kind of goes Hollywood a little yeah, bit. You know, I'm, sure, I'm sure there was some partying going on
2: uh, to and, some yeah, extent. To hanging out with the people he's hanging out with and it's just, you know, he talks about like, I'll give you a, a very funny story, which I don't know if we've ever put to, 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 to tape. Uh, I went with them and we saw, what did we, they were showing a screening of maybe it was the French Connection. So his wife was there and I've become friendly with his wife and now my wife is friendly with their wife because they play like one of those Facebook, you know, like the, um, word mat mash or whatever on yeah, the thing yeah. so we're always talking about getting dinner together so they're chatting away and uh, Randy excuse, we're in the lobby right before we're about to go into to watch this movie Randy excuses himself to go to the bathroom so I'm standing there with his wife Lynn and I'm like so um, this is real. oh we were going to see Vigilante the movie that he's the way, the the, well, way. Yeah, and, and uh, which Spinell has a cameo in it I didn't know Spinell had a cameo in it because I'd never seen it up until we saw the screening so uh, <laughs> Jay Chataway did the music there you go. There's who's a little it, plug. Who's in my book. Scored to, Score to death. Great movie, which I'd never seen, which is funny because it shows up on Turner Classic Movies, and it's one of these movies like, wow, it's so funny to think that's a Turner Classic <laughs> movie, but God bless him. They made it, you know? Yeah. So Randy excuses himself to go to the bathroom. So I'm standing there with Lynn, and I'm like, so um, this is exciting tonight, huh? And I was like, so Randy's told me you know Joe Spinell, and come to find out, like, they were... Uh, her and Spinel were almost closer than than, than um, Randy was with Spinel. Yeah. And she tells me the story. She's like, yeah, she's like the night we were gonna they were gonna do she's like, I've got a funny story and she's relaying this to me. She's like the the um the night let me think of how this goes straight. The night they were going to watch the premiere of, of The Exorcist, uh, Randy was just getting off work and they were meeting freaking and Spinel and everybody to go watch the screening and at the time they were living uh i guess like on the like uh in north manhattan so randy telephones his wife and says listen take the dog out you know and then i'll meet you or i'll pick you up so lynn his wife goes to walk the dog and it's a big dog she was saying and i guess the dog kind of like and she's like a little woman you know she's petite so the dog kind of pulls her and she kind of trips which heals on and she sprains her ankle she's like oh crap what am i gonna i can't I, I have to i have to you know go to this premiere so and then you know she gets in the the car, and the, the, the ankle starts blowing it up and they get to the, the to the premiere and she sits behind spinel and her ankle starts blowing up so during the movie when they're watching the exorcist anytime she moves it was severe pain from her ankle. she kept going ah ah so every time something would happen spinel would turn around and, like hold her knee and be like don't worry honey it's all a movie it's not really <laughs> happening <Like that. laughs> And he thought it was serious and she explained yeah. it to him so after the movies she, she got on spinel's back and they all went to the er and they spent the night in the er spinel freaking and, and Jurgensen and his wife as she got tended to this ankle uh-huh. so it's like it's funny this relationship they knew all of them they were all like you're saying they all go out partying they'd all have crazy nights and you think about in the late 70s can you imagine going to party with like you know Guys like that, I you know. know Spinell, by all accounts, you know, was a pretty big partyer. You know, and then you think about Spinell as also having, like, you know, the Carte Blanche he had, where he can just go into the Copa and be like, "Hey, look who I am!" And they knew who he was. Like, all right, this is my Mr. Dragos. Well,
1: Spinell, I mean, we talked, uh, we did Maniac, which was like Spinell's, you know, kind of
2: baby, yeah. in a lot
1: of ways. Uh, but Spinell was a guy who, for the most part, of a fairly short career. He died uh in the early 80s unfortunately he was a uh, he had hemophilia
2: and no the late 80s it was the late 80s yeah because he i think it's like uh 87 88 um uh, but still so like he's
1: he had for the most part his career was kind of short-lived but the movies he's in uh,
2: amazing i, I mean, mean we don't
1: have to get into like no the, the godfather but story but he's in the
2: godfather he's a taxi driver he's the second god he's a big part in the second godfather uh, he's in yeah, he's in Taxi Driver. He's in Night Shift. He's in like we said, Vigilant. He shows up, and it's the kind of person, Nighthawks. Night Hawks, you know, <laughs> uh, Sorcerer. Sorcerer. He's in. He's the kind of guy that shows up. This movie here, Cruising. Where if you're a, a cinema fan, that's how I first recognized Randy. The connection I had with him. It's like someone said, Hey, do you know so and so's father? He just wrote a book because he. Uh, put a book out on a very famous case one of the most famous cases of in New York City Police Department's history and I said no I don't recognize the name and then when I'm watching a movie someone says that's him oh you know what I was watching was the documentary that of on Spinell that came with the maniac uh-huh. so in that documentary there's stills of the two of them together and then it, it lower third at who he was and i go oh i know that guy because yeah, i've yeah. seen him in movies i've seen him in cruising i've seen him in sorcerer i've seen him in whatever and it was like oh that's him and so it's like the connection that that's to be made there and um yeah it's just it's so weird to just it's that's like if you were a fan of cinema and you know spinel spinel will show up everywhere yeah, you know yeah. um and i you know i don't even know where to start with this movie i mean um, this is cruise, Cruz. I'm getting back on. <laughs> well, so we have, we have basically the plot of the film is, uh, uh, we have a serial killer is killing, um, uh, guys in gay guys in this scene. And he's doing it in a special way. He's kind of finding guys that kind of look like Pacino's build hair color, uh, skin tone. And then what he's doing is he's, he's either having sex with them first and then, uh, uh, Tying them up in an S M way, and then killing them by using a, a a steak knife, which we learn later on in the back, and then that's kind of the progression of the movie. But there's a lot of things that freaking does in this movie to make it ambiguous, which I find amazing. Which I think in other respects, if maybe other people were there's to do it, there's a lot it, of ambiguity. Yeah, but movie. see, for me, ang- ambiguity a lot of times means they didn't have yeah. a um, they didn't have a, a way around of you know of. Uh, an answer to to, 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 to to the question the script problem yeah where in this movie I feel like a lot of if it's, it was on purpose there was stuff going on because they wanted to leave it amb, 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 ambiguous amb, ambiguous thank you for, uh, to a certain extent for, for reasons on purpose and uh, also we've brought up i forget what movie recently we were talking about in this podcast where if, if, if a character is a proactive character or a reactive character. Yeah. Do you remember what that was? I and mean, then we were saying we think he's more reactive. Uh It was recently, the past, yeah, maybe this past I spring. I can't. And, oh, it was
1: Tarzan, I think.
2: Yeah, where if he's proactive or is he reacting. And for me, Pacino's character in this movie, that, it, that was the first thing, like, get wrapping my head around when I first saw this movie. He's like, he, to, for my personal opinion, is like completely reactive, area the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to kind of find... An arc for him, because he's kind of like the audience's eyes, as the audience would be in this world, and it's kind of weird. Where does Pacino's character go? But then at the same time, you know, there's a lot going on in Pacino's character, so it's kind of ambiguous.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, there's things I like about this movie that I think other people would consider flaws. Yeah. And maybe they maybe they are flaws, I don't know. I mean, but to me, it's like the fact that the it's a little bit disjointed, the pacing is a little bit slow, the the fact that like you don't see too much of an arc in Pacino's character. All these things are for some reason like I find interesting. Whereas I feel like from a technical like a from an educational, like, you know, expert, you know, looking at it might be considered kind of negatives or wrong. But for me, I, it, you know, one thing you can say about this movie uh, it's above (laughs) all things, I think is that it's, there's no other movie like it, which is a testament. I mean, whether you, whether you like it or, or you think that it's it's bad or things don't work about it, you don't like the ambiguity to it, this, that, the other thing, it's t- it's unique, which is like a big feat, <laughs> you know, especially... At that, at that time. And even to like, at that time, and then even to watch it today, you know, decades later... It's still holding up. Holding up and not having other movies. It's like there aren't other mo- any movies after it that are like it, really.
2: Oh, that are kind of like hopping its style. Well, yeah,
1: or just... Um, it's style, it's subject matter to a certain extent. Um, You know, the Pacino, you're saying Pacino reactionary and there are definitely things that I think Friedkin could have uh, fleshed out a little bit. And maybe that's part of the 40 minutes that's gone. Well, you know, we might never know. Uh, but I feel like there's just enough of the things, like the innocence of Pacino's character with Powers Booth, in this. Which store. I think is
2: his first role. Uh,
1: of like, you know, what are the what are the handkerchiefs for? And you know, not willing to pull the trigger on buying one. You know, there's a little bit of innocence there. Funny that, like, the f- he knows what they are for now, and, and then he the makes the wrong. F- and then the first one he. Decides to get is the one
2: <laughs> for Golden Chow. So there's a, there's a <laughs> handkerchief for people who don't know who are not into this world. There is a. Uh,
1: well, I mean, I think at this point, like for the most part, hopefully you've seen the movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, there there's a handkerchief game, uh, and evidently this is back in the day. To, to there was a whole color coding system, and it's 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 pretty crazy that you know, and it basically goes as you know, like if you if you have a, a certain colored handkerchief out, hanging out of your say left back pocket you were into doing this maybe you were the uh, receiver.
1: The, the, depending on which pocket it was you either like received or gave
2: yeah so i mean and there's if you go online and you put like handkerchief code in here you'll get like scores of colors for like you know pink uh if it's worn on the left it means um you know you, you you're into this or if you're you know if you're if you're uh gray you know you're 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 into this or that and you know and, and, and Literally, if you go on, like it's hilarious, you know, it's like dildo fucker, tit torturer, uh, fist fucker, sailors, pilot, it, uh, all kinds of crazy, all kinds of crazy things. That if you go research things, so then you can, uh, you know, see what they are, and, and it's it's really hilarious that, like, you know, this is a, yeah, this was a a, a thing that so it becomes a part of the movie. Yeah, and, and I think it's Power Booth's first role.
1: It could be. Know. I mean, there's a lot of. Fa- there's a Powers Booth is in this. As you said, James Remar has got a small part. Um, the guy, uh, William Russ, who, plays, who eventually plays the father
2: in uh, Boy Meets World. The TV yeah.
1: show, he's in it.
2: Oh, you're a guy that, what's his face, who who's uh, Frenchie from Goodfellas that we—that you met at, at Cabin Fever that night. <laughs> he plays Joe Spinell's partner in this. Yeah, he plays the partner. You know, I, I, his I name to, escapes me, but he's the bag. He's I used also to have Black a re- Dynamite.
1: My band used to have a regular gig at this bar on the Upper East Side at, that's closed now called Cabin Fever. And he That's used, not there anymore? I don't think so. And he used to frequent the bar, so... I would often when i would play there he would often be there um but yeah he's in it um ed o'neill as we mentioned uh all kinds of people i mean it's kind of a you know it's amazing how many people you and we also to
2: to to tease our interview uh i guess we won't give this one away but i was able to again through a friend at work get in touch with ed o'neill and i had ed o'neill ask a question for randy in remembrance of this movie and he brings it up i asked i posed the question to uh, Randy during the interview, and then uh, Ed asks a question which is very hilarious, and then and it ends
1: up answering a question I think some viewers might have.
2: Yeah. of this movie. Yeah, of what what this thing really was and what it what it is, and it, again you have to go. Uh, Listen to to the interview to see what it is, but it's pretty funny because it's like, what the hell is I even have to do with anything? Yeah, you know, and but, that's some of the things that you think about this movie that are where, do this, where does this come from? Because, oh, yeah, there's, a, there's quite a few, things. you know, what I mean, but, so but, but new, it, I think it's it's stranger, what is it they say, stranger than fiction, right? Yeah. That that this that this is actually, uh, you know, has footholds on actual like uh, non fiction, this is actually yeah. stuff actually happened, um, but uh, you know, as I was saying
1: with the. Uh, the things about the movie that I kind of like that could be maybe construed as flaws. One is, like, you're talking about the uh, Pacino's arc, and we see... I think for some viewers, they would want to see more of more of him having an arc. I mean, here we get kind of just, like, hints of it, and I think, you know, doing research on it, people still find things ambiguous that I didn't necessarily feel were too ambiguous. You know, there's, um, like, his relationship with Karen Allen. I mean, clearly, I think th- we see them have sex twice. There's a little bit of foreshadowing in the first scene where she's like, you know, uh, he's telling her that he's got this job and he, does, he can't talk about it. And she says something, he's like, well, there's a lot of things you don't know about me. And then we get, like, the ominous <laughs> music yeah. as a kind of... It, it's it's uh, transitioning into the next scene. Um, and then we have him having sex with Eric, uh kind of forcefully. And as a viewer, I mean, you don't know if that's how he usually does it. But as a viewer, like, in the context of this movie, you kind of feel like he's starting to be affected yeah. by what he's seeing at that point. And then we have
2: a scene, the next scene... Well, that's almost like then he's... It's like, yeah, you can read into that, that to me it didn't seem like that this is how they regularly have intercourse. Yeah, yeah. So it's him either But there's no
1: reason for us not to think that, but, like, you, I assume... I assumed
2: assumed it wasn't... Her reaction seemed like it wasn't normal, and then... And then the next scene, like, he doesn't seem into it. Yeah, he's... You know, and then
1: the next thing they have was this dialogue scene, and she's like... Which... You know, somebody that I read online is like, it's only a week later. I don't remember, her, like, really knowing how long it was. But she's like, you're not in, you know, you don't find me attractive anymore. And it's when they kind of have, like, a little bit of a
2: fight. And he yeah, leaves. he is like, a separation kind of a thing. Because it's some, a- cause I think some people,
1: I don't know, I feel like some people miss it. Like, I feel like the clues are there. I feel like there's just enough for us to see what's going on because then it's like, I think like some people comment that you know when he finally breaks down to Paul Savino, he's like, "I can't do this anymore." Like it's fucking, it's changing me. It's like it's almost like that seems too abrupt, and it's like really no. like I feel like it's th- it's there. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's like it's subtle for the most part. It's not overt, but I feel like if you're watching the movie and you're paying attention to it, well, I
2: don't know why you would think also that it's only like a week or two going by because yeah, you could see every at the beginning of it when he goes undercover. Every he's in different outfits every time, and you could see he's progressively trying to figure out what to wear. So each like new shot in the montage is like him, you know. He's realizing okay, he should start wearing leather pants. He should start wearing boots. He should start wearing chains. He should start wearing uh, you know the uh, tank tops. He should start wearing a jacket. He should get a hat, you know. And it's and then he gets the handkerchief. So he's like he's certainly coming to figure out. The world Yeah, itself. I mean, I feel like there's
1: a pretty you know, large passage of time, and you could
2: tell with Servino too when they're meeting the Servino character. It's like you know, it's I think do they, don't they even allude to how much time it's been? A couple months or whatever, and you know, I mean, we said Randy said himself, it happened. This is a couple years. This happened, so you yeah, can only yeah. imagine what it's going to do to you when you're down there living in this world and this whole. It, 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 it's just a lot of things. I love that with the, for the Carrie Allen role, they supposedly didn't give her the script. Yeah, but only
1: her parts of the script.
2: Yeah, which is great because. They that's supposed to be because she's not supposed to be knowing what he's doing since he's an undercover cop. So that's pretty brilliant to like, okay, you know, just trust us. You're going to do the movie and then, you know, and then have it be, you know. Like, you really don't know what the rest of this movie is about. You don't know what
1: that character is up to yeah, in real life.
2: Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of brilliant. And then, you know, I there's a lot of stuff reading into Pacino's character. You Like you said, he's kind of green at first, when he goes into Pacino uh, to to Savino's, uh, when he first meets Savino, Savino starts saying, "Have you ever had your dick smoked? <laughs> you know, have you ever had your pole waxed? Have you ever, you know, chugged a load?" He's like, you know, and then Pacino's like, "Whoa, are you, you ever serious?" A monkey. Yeah, he's like saying stuff like that, and Pacino's like, y- "You you are serious," it's like you know, and he's just and and uh, you know, and and then it you could tell he, when he starts getting into it, you know, it, and it's it's funny because they they they, this, they say Pacino's supposed to be like in his late. F- 20s in the movie but he's clearly almost yeah it's funny 40. it's like he's way older the fart, than the part
1: than he should be and and like Servino's way younger than he should be yeah <laughs> you
2: could tell like they kind of
1: white like whited his hair up a little bit yeah
2: and um you know they wanted richard Gere to play the part evidently richard Gere was really into playing the pacino role but i don't know for whatever reason they couldn't get richard Gere, and because uh, they, they thought he would look uh androgynous maybe or yeah, or yeah. To a certain extent, in the world, and you know, and I, and I, I think it would be a hard casting. You have to kind of figure out your casting. I mean, to, to see if the person would play right. Um, and there's, yeah, Pacino is kind of, and then it becomes, like, very ambiguous of what role he's playing in these crimes. Like, uh, you know, the 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 shots at the beginning and the end kind of bookend each other with the with the yeah. with the killer, have who the-, the killer is
1: well we have we, you know it definitely it's kind of circular we the the scene the movie's open and closed with uh the boats
2: yeah and then... and Which is very zombie. They find, like, a body <laughs> in the... You know, Fulci's zombie.
1: There are things about it that are you very know? Fulchy. Like, the ADR work feels very Fulchy in some places
2: to me. Um, well, they ended up having to ADR a lot of it because uh, there, was, there was such bad protests by the even, community. Uh,
1: like, even in the medical examiner's office. Oh, yeah, like yeah, Like, yeah, that yeah. guy, like, it feels very much like in zombie when they're in, like, the medical examiner's office. Um, and then not, like... You know not right at the end or right at the beginning, there's like a very similar, if not the same shot, of a figure walking into the gay club. Yeah, I, just, I think it's the
2: same shot. You know it's even the same hop and the skip at the beginning of it. I mean, you it might the, be the same
1: actor, or you know
2: it's definitely the same take, you yeah, know like yeah. a different take of the same thing
1: if it's not the same exact shot.
2: and then they they do a, a really weird thing in this movie where they don't really uh tell you who the killer is. And not only do they not really tell you who the killer is, uh, well, freaking kind of plays these games where he actually has every time you see the killer, it's a different person playing the playing role. Playing the role of the killer. Yeah. So like the 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 first scene you see the killer kill somebody, then the second scene that victim from the first scene is now the killer. And because they look so much alike to a certain extent, and he's not really, f- um, you know. And then because of the atmosphere, lends itself. It's dark. It's you know. There, yeah. Maybe there's smoke, and you know, you're not really getting a good yeah. look at the guy. So basically,
1: like the guy who plays the killer in the first movie plays a victim
2: later in the movie. Yeah, and then the
1: guy that plays the victim in the first scene Is the briefly or... plays the the killer in
2: like the second. Scene, in a, in another
1: scene another murder scene, but in that murder scene the killer's actually played by two people in that scene. So it's they all it's like different people playing the killer all with the same voice.
2: Yes. So it's kind of it's not recognizable to a certain extent. It's not like you're gonna be like he's wearing a mustache and now he's got you know (laughs) so you can't really but if you look really close you'll kinda see it's different people to just throw you off. It's subtle, but it's there. And then like you're saying as well, is that they have this one voice Through it, which I think it's a great voice. It's one of these people, you know, that has these, you know, it's like, you know, one of these. Yeah, it's just such a great, you know, and then we kind of find out at the end of the movie whose voice it's supposed to be. And uh, even to the last shot, when they're in the hospital with the person who's supposed to be the killer, they give him that voice. Yeah. You know, so it's. uh, I, I love all that, you know. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I think there is this
1: sense, and most people have this sense of ambiguity about the killer, and. Um for me, I don't know, maybe I'm dense or something, like to me it's pretty like I believe the I believe, you know, the story that's being told is that like the killer ends up being this one guy whose father we don't know what his relationship really is with his father, but we assume that spoiler alerts. <laughs> we assume that he had this estranged Uh, relationship with his father, that perhaps his father was, again, this is like one of the, I think, beautiful things about the movie is that you, it's there and you do have to kind of, I think you automatically bring yourself to certain things, you know, like um, they talk about with Psycho, for instance, the end of Psycho, that uh, by the time Psycho came out in 1960, like the idea of like Freudian psychology was enough of a of a known thing that the sheer notion of like he thinks he's his mother, like he's doing this as his mother's relationship with his mother. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. We get it. So like, flash forward twenty years, this relationship with a dad. So I think like we, I don't know, maybe at the time you wouldn't have made this connection. I don't know what the zeitgeist was. At the time, but I think you know, looking back on it from our perspective, having grown up in the eighties, grown up uh, where homosexuality in a time where it's still you know not totally accepted by everybody, but like has come significant leaps and bounds forward in terms of the acceptance of it. You know, for for me, like seeing that scene and then the letters, it's like to me, it's like a guy whose father was clearly homophobic very much against gay people and this poor guy who's gay who has to deal with the fact that and probably never came out to his dad and is living out some kind of like weird uh you know perverse looking for approval from like his dead father kind of thing i mean obviously that all that's not there but to me like those are clues that could lead you in that direction now um There are, so for me, it's like, it seems pretty cut and dry. Now, you know, Freakin talks about the idea of the different characters playing, the different actors playing the killer and the idea of this, that, and the other thing, that he presents this idea of that, like, there's more than one killer. And some people think that there's at least two. I mean, if we, if we take out, like, Ted's, the character of Ted's murder yeah. towards the end of the movie, which is clearly, at least for me, clearly not part of this run of murders. It's like a separate murder that just happens to be a gay guy during this time period, who's the next-door neighbor to Al Pacino's character. Al Pacino, as an undercover cop, he has to get an apartment. He has to, like, live out this this life, this role. Yeah. So he has an apartment, and that. Cl- Uh, obviously clearly he's in a building where a lot of gay people live his next door neighbors are gay and he becomes friendly with this this writer this playwright that lives next door who has a boyfriend who's he never really says boyfriend they never really say boyfriend you they're roommates but then you get a sense that they have a romantic relationship when we actually meet James Raymar's character who seems very jealous of Pacino's character and the relationship that he has with the next door neighbor yeah um well, unfortunately, that guy, like, kind of like the, he's our one example of the other side of homosexuality. Yeah. To a certain extent, he's like the one. Um, I guess, for, for, for in a very close-minded, uh, if you were a very close-minded viewer, to be like, he's like the non-deviant. Oh <laughs> yeah. well, he's like the
2: mainstream.
1: Yeah, you know? he's like, like, he, like he's the, like the one say. like cruising's not for him. Um, he doesn't participate in that kind of lifestyle. He's an artist and uh, seems very like a very innocent uh, guy. And he ends up being murdered at the end of the movie, which again, there's more amb- ambiguity there. Um, but for me, I kind of lost my train of thought.
2: It is a very it is a very um, turbulent movie to be. To, you're talking about um the ambiguity of the ki- multiple killers. Uh, yeah. So
1: the, freaking you know, the, the idea of like that there's more than one, like to me, I don't see that. No, I never, to, I never, to s- me, it's like, it's that guy. And the idea of having somebody else play him is either could be any kind of artistic device to, to not reveal who the real killer is to, uh, to maybe comment that the killer could be anybody or, um. Or maybe his Any identity other
2: might not even be important. Yeah. You know, any know, other? Any other? Yeah.
1: I mean, clearly, it's a conscious choice, but what the reasoning does for me as a viewer never played into uh, ambiguity. Uh, you brought it up because I know that it's it, it's there. I mean, you can do research online. There is a lot of people that are like, "I don't get it. Who's the fucking killer?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to me, it was like it's always once you discover the minute you discover his hallucin, the guy's hallucination of. Having a conversation with his dad in the park. Yeah, it's like, well, there's this. It's this guy. Yeah, you know, he's treated this troubled young guy who, is for some reason, has to f- play out these murders for some, some kind of gratification. Whether it's looking for approval from his dad, some kind of sexual frustration,
2: whatever the reason, it's this guy. Well, I wonder what, and then what it's doing to Pacino's character because it kind of, to me as Pacino like you know he, he says to you know when he's with Carrie Allen like the second time he's like I don't don't please don't lose me he says that to her like he, repl- he repeats that twice to her he's like you know um, don't lose me to, to his to Nancy Nance so it's like he's worried that this life's gonna suck him in and then he kind of you, you, as the movie goes on you kind of are under the maybe the perception that he could possibly be starting to I don't know maybe not get into it but like kind of like, you know, maybe, I don't know if he's not, if he's participating, but like, especially in these bar situations where there's, you know, even though we've said that they've cut out a lot of the X ratedness that was supposedly, um, filmed. If you, just watch the shots there's tons of shit going on in the background like yeah, yeah, dudes yeah. doing stuff and all that. and then there's the scene where you have like you know they got the Crisco oil and he's you know f- looping up the guy up to his elbow <laughs> and then the other guy has got his legs up in stirrups and everyone's <laughs> yeah. watching like while some other guy's yeah, getting jerked yeah. off and then Pacino just looks over to see the you know, you can kind of see that the guy making um, entry, and then that's and it's like you know, so it's like all this stuff is going. So it kind of like you know, and then then there's the whole drug aspect of it because at the time drugs are very heavy in the scene with cocaine, and they're doing they're doing poppers in this movie. So there's a great scene in the movie where like, uh, and it's the same scene kind of um, where Pacino meets somebody, and then he starts like doing drugs with the guy, sniffing stuff on the dance floor, and then all the cr- you know, the colors start going. Yeah, and yeah, I really think that's a great scene. I mean, the, the movie itself is just beautifully shot and, and, and technically, but Pacino's you know, character seems to be getting into it more. And then, like, for whatever reason, if he can't perform later on with Carrie Allen, either because of what's going on in his head or because, I don't know, if maybe he's not longer finding her sexually attractive. or I mean, that's well, a I little th- more of an extreme. Well, but I could think just be that... The, um, but he's certainly going down this road where once he, with this killer... He kind of finds, he kind of puts his eyes on this guy who ends up t- to us being the killer. He starts really starts fucking with the guy, and it starts getting. You wonder if Pacino's what's Pacino's motivation. Is he doing it just to be able to? He knows that if he solves his murder, he'll be able to get out of this undercover, or if he's just trying to find someone to scapegoat it, you know, to 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 to, to just have it be over, or if he's enjoying now well, yeah, following I mean, the when guy.
1: What's well, like when you brought up that he's reactionary. I was going to bring it up then but um, kind of held off cuz it, it was you know we we had, hadn't really gotten too much into the movie yet. For me he's reactionary up until that point. And then he becomes uh whatever the opposite of that is. He's 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 proactive. He's pro, he's proactive. Like to me you could view it this way. I'm not sure if I do view it this way. If it's my opinion of it um but I feel like you could view at that point he becomes kind of the killer i mean he becomes a stalker to, to he's, yeah he's stalking this guy and it's you know, he's you know obviously he's a detective he's trying to solve this case but then he follows this guy into the into the into the uh, in the park yeah picks him up and it's exactly what the killer would do you yeah. know like he essentially in that
2: He entraps the guy in that
1: S in that scene. He essentially, he becomes the killer. I mean, he doesn't end up actually killing that guy, but it's not really for lack of (laughs)
2: trying. And it's also too, if you divorce the movie away from that scene, that guy, you know, that guy really isn't, I don't remember if he draws his knife first, but that guy could just have a knife on him for, for defensive purposes. You know, Pacino really just slams his, his, his knife into the guy's chest. They kind of draw at the same time.
1: Yeah. He's, he takes down his pants. The Pacino steps on his pants. You know, they're down around his ankles. The other guys. The other so guys. Guy, yes, yeah, so the
2: guy kind of stumbles.
1: And then when that happens, I feel like, to my recollection, the guy
2: pulls his knife out of it pulls his his knife as Pacino's pulling his knife. Yeah, and Pacino just rams it into him. And it's like, you know, so that's why it gets kind of like, you know, where's Pacino going with this? And, you know, because then Pacino become in in the other killings that you see that the killer has always been very calm, very mysterious. He's answering questions with a question for his people. You know, what are you into? Or What are you into? And we should
1: say that this, this voice that the killer has,
2: the common voice throughout the thing
1: is the voice that his father has in this scene that we that I mentioned earlier where Yeah, has near like the this, end of the movie he has like this fantasy scene where he's having a conversation with his father yeah. on the bench it's his father's voice
2: yeah and, he, and then when Pacino kind of breaks into his apartment to search the apartment he finds like uh, you know this whole box shoebox of letters that yeah he like did, hundreds that let- he, of letters he'd, that he, he'd he, been writing to his father but he hadn't sent him. And then that's kind of frightening because the the letters are like, I see, I'm seeing... It's almost... It's clearly he has schizophrenia or some sort of uh, mental illness because he's saying, I'm starting to see these black figures. You know, so it's, it's... If he's not getting help, it's getting worse. And then Pacino leaves the apartment we don't see this but then when the guy comes back home Pacino didn't even fix the shit yeah, so the you know. guy it's almost to let the guy know that Paci- the, like I know what you're up like yeah. somebody is on to you Yeah. and then he looks out the window and Pacino's like sitting standing there across the street looking like with a smile like hello you know so it's like he's kind Lady. of yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <Hoo-wah>. <laughs> it's like you know don't waste my motherfucking time <laughs> all the Just little got <laughs> all yeah. he's got a great <laughs> hat so it's like and, he's, and pacino's trying to bait him out you know so it's and then so then by the time that when uh you know pacino when pacino forces the encounter yeah. That night, where like he goes to the guy's apartment near the, at the end of the movie, he he rings the guy's bell a certain dozen times, then walks across the street up the hill so he can have a sight line to the guy's window where the guy's seen Pacino. The guy turns his light on, he sees Pacino standing there, so the the Pacino's like calling him out, and then when we they both go to this is like it looks like it's Upper Harlem, you know, because it's the all the above um, on the West Side where all the like yeah. the above uh west side highway stuff is uh, where the park meets all the upper level construction so they're walking under all this stuff in the park and then when they get to their scene like it turns into pacino's playing the role of the killer like where he's saying um you know all the ambiguous stuff and then you know that stuff what are you into or you know what it's it, it's so the nomenclature what are you I'm party size how big are you I'm party size what are you into uh, I don't do anything all right so you know what is it lips or hips it's like it's it's so it's so amazing all this stuff you know I do anything so it's like you know and then when it then he forces the the encounter to, to and then you know he, he stabs and the movies kind of done and then we have this last scene. So then now, okay, so let's let's keep that in mind. Let's transition to the, to the, to the uh, we'll pause that, transition to the Paul Servino character. I find this for me personally, this is like one of Paul Servino's best performances. I think he's so good in this movie as like this, like really like uh, shell-shocked cop who's been there who's seen it all and it just he knows the horrors of life and he really embodies what the downside of what it is being a cop when you stay on the job to the sacrifice of your family friends relationships but you're still on the job and you kind of get numb to it all and you know he has this look on him the whole time and uh servino uh, does and then that's even to the point where pacino's saying like i'm losing it and he's like you know you need to, you know you need to stick with it and then at the very end of the movie when you when um it's done, and you have this last murder that was used to be next door to where Pacino was living while he was undercover of this, this uh main, more mainstream gay man. Uh, Servino's reaction to me, like, Servino's like almost like shocked, or so, 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 to me, it seems like it could be read a lot of ways. Like, Servino is worried about this murder, and not so much that he thinks that the murder was committed again by our serial killer, but he f- he feels like. This could have been a byproduct of something, like that. You know, he he's coming to the realization of something because then when they say he lives next and he gives the the whatever the the fake name was the yeah. phony identity, that kind of another bell goes off and Savino's head along with he re- makes the recollection of who he recognizes Joe Spinell's character's name. Yeah. Uh, so my wife said to me that she had a theory that the James Remar character isn't real, that it's Pacino kind of. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, you know, you get, I guess it kind of sounds fight club-ish. But like that, because you only see James Rimar once. The, yeah. the 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 other guy's boyfriend. He Pacino has a fight with him. But if that never happened, and say he did that instead to that gay guy, and then Pacino comes back and actually is the one who kills the gay guy, but it's blamed on this boyfriend that isn't in town. Yeah. You know, and it's actually Pacino doing it. You know. Well, here's the thing. I mean, that like, did Pacino commit that murder at the end? Removed from the serial killer murders. I think. Uh, and does Savino kind of? Come, you know, kind of does that is that off in Savino's head. Well, I think there's there's a
1: some there's a couple of things going on there that you're talking about. I think that's an interesting theory. Um, it's not one that occurred to me in terms of that James Remar's character is not there in that scene. Um, we hear from Ted that, so that the, the, key, the roommate's coming back.
2: The guy who gets killed, yeah, the the gay. The we company.
1: hear we hear a fight that they have, but that could also be in Pacino's head if we go with that. Uh, We'll be here like a fight that they have between you know through the walls in Pacino's apartment. But like you said, if if that's true, that could just be in Pacino's head. I think that the the death of that character, the Ted character, kind of the quote unquote like innocent gay guy, um, it's totally ambiguous. I think I think if anything, it's implied that it's Pacino. Yeah. I think uh, I think Servino's reaction to like what what's the who lives next door and was like, we think it might be a fake name or whatever. Um, I think his reaction is like, Fuck. he's recalling Pacino being like, it's changing me. Like, I can't do this anymore. It's making me different. Um, if anything, I think it's implied. You I don't, know? But, I, but it's ambiguous enough to be like,
2: if it's a situation where it's like, we take this guy, Ted, who is a, um, I, we keep, keep saying mainstream, but he's like a more, uh, into like, like the classical, uh, way that, that, that gay life is portrayed. And if Pacino then has b- been turned on or turned into the, the gay scene by this more, uh, subversive lifestyle, if there's a, a fabric. We're, we're completely speculating because this isn't yeah, the movie. It's
1: completely. It's really completely ambiguous. Yeah. It's. it's
2: yeah. It, you know, if there's a scene where he tries to, you know, have a moment with this guy Ted, because to me, if Pacino, the 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 the, the times they hang out, they hang out is very. It's it, their relationship's even ambiguous. Yeah. They're very good friends, but you could tell. Who knows who wants what from the relationship? the guy Ted isn't hitting on him at all. Pacino's very much being like a you know like what do you want? you know it's like he's trying to be like an older brother or a yeah. friend, so
1: well, there is the there's the, the I think it's maybe the last time they have they have they're in the diner together.
2: Oh he's like, when my boyfriend's coming back, he's like i we won't have this or whatever anymore but yeah, he says this.
1: something Pacino says like I forget the line unfortunately, but it's something like. You know, like, a, you know, I hope he, something he's implying, like, I hope I've been helpful or something like that. And, yeah. But the guys are like, some, but the there's an indication that Ted says something back to him. He's like, oh, like you have, you yeah. Know? Like, it's implying that there is at least on the Ted character some kind of deeper friendship, maybe not sexual. You know, that's not implied, but like that there is a connection there. So that's, that's more than just like two neighbors and a guy that he makes that pacino makes small talk with because he has to live out this
2: like lifestyle and see or get stuff. info from him yeah. or whatever yeah so that's why i don't know if if there is a if there is a a scene that does isn't shown that where pacino goes back to say either goodbye to this character or he tries to come on to him as being from the cruising lifestyle yeah. and then it goes awry and it's almost like an overkill you yeah. know they always say overkill is like a lot of times when someone is murdered by someone close to them, you know, uh, if, if it's a burglary, the person may only be stabbed once or twice because the burglar just wants to get out. But if it's overkill, it's someone who has an emotional attachment. Yeah. So that's why you sometimes see, like, you know, it's, that's why they call it overkill, like 40, 50 stab wounds. So this one who's well, bludgeoned to death. The, he
1: has this scene with James Remar, who's supposedly the roommate. Pacino does. Pacino. Supposedly the roommate of this Ted character. Uh, and presumably, well, he's the roommate of this Ted character, presumably boyfriend.
2: Yeah. Um, He's coming back from Washington, D.C. He was doing a play down there. The play's over. Uh, this run he's coming back and he's and even though our Ted character is a playwright and he's trying to finish a play the uh, James Remar character the boyfriend coming back is saying you know I want you to get out and go do work and basically like I've been paying the bills yeah now it's your turn now that I'm
1: coming back you need to go out and, and get a real job. and
2: if there's a play for you to for, for and you to be written it can wait and uh, and then the, the the job that that Ted has is like a night's job and it's kind of killing him like you know he doesn't have the energy to write or it's just like it's taxing on him to have to say like know. Know, working nights the night shift yeah. doing something. So this is when they yeah, Pacino and James Remar have this confrontation where he knocks on the door looking for Ted and then and then you know this conflict comes and it's up. It's
1: clear like Remar has a little bit of <coughs> there's some kind of maybe a little bit of jealousy there going on Remar's kind and he's like, you know, he always gets cut up with you like the last fucking guy that lived
2: there. And there's a lot of uh uh References to the last guy that lives in Pacino's apartment at the beginning, when Pacino moves in, there's a lot of like, uh, like uh, homo uh, erotic magazines that he's trying to throw out that were the last guys. Um, Ted brings up like, you know, what your last guy used to do? He'd get mad, he'd walk out, and he'd just go down. He'd he'd suck off twelve guys in an hour. I don't want to be that guy, you know. And then yeah. Remar brings them up, and there might be another reason why this guy's brought up. Like he was part of this lifestyle. And it's almost... It's interesting. like It's like almost like it's a um, it's like revolving the, door. Yeah. Or it's like the tenant. You almost. know? <laughs> like yeah, you know keep yeah, <laughs> it's <a> like plants Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> he
1: starts you know, to almost assume the character of this previous
2: yeah, tenant. And it's like we uh, we said about Jurgensen's case going down there. You know, they would set you up in a building like you alluded to. They set you up in a building in the world so you're in this lifestyle. You come down, you have a backstory and that's what Pacino does. Pacino becomes friends with this guy next door. Hey, you know what? One, because he's living next to him to get small talk to Two, he can get information. This is how Jurgensen says in his interview he got his big break by talking to his roommate, you know, about the case. So, um, there's reasons for it happening but there's just, maybe this goes to show why we like this movie so much because, like I said before, a lot of times for me, ambi- ambiguity in a movie is like we couldn't figure out script problems. So, you know what? Hey, fuck it. We're going to leave it ambiguous. Let the audience decide. Yeah. Or with I, I Can't Stand a lot of times is where it's like it's ambiguous on purpose, but I don't even know what the fuck's going on. The yeah, director will say, and I was like, well, that I don't like that. Well, you know, uh, in this movie, there's so much we can read into. My, it's fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, my point is with him, when he meets James Remar, there's maybe some kind of jealousy going on. But I feel like you could read into it that Pacino's got there's jealousy on Pacino's part.
2: Yeah, it's either you know he could look certainly at... certainly because he, he had he, he overreacts. Could look at a, yeah, he, he could, kicks the door down after the we think the scene's over. He it's kicks either the door like down. Like he
1: feels like this guy's an asshole and mistreating his friend. You could read it that way. Although it's pretty extreme if his reaction is pretty extreme if that's the case. Um, so you you could you know you could definitely look into it that Pacino's kind of jealous in this point. You know, unfortunately, uh, I don't. Neither one of us read the book. And,
2: no, um, and you know, I really meant to. And there is a uh, an adaptation that that has the cover. It's really funny if you go on Amazon, you can see it. And it's like it's like it's like Al Pacino standing, yeah, you know, yeah. is the, is on the cover. It looks a oh, lot. It's like oh, that's Al Pacino. And you look oh, that's not Al Pacino.
1: And also, you know? you know, Friedkin kind of says
2: that like he didn't really base the movie on the book so much. But um, we also have that other story that we never got to about the the radiologist that worked on Exorcist that plays a big, baker- <laughs> you know, what I mean, yeah,
1: but. uh uh, to finish to finish this one, um, but apparently, uh, Pacino—it's a big thing him and the, the him and the Ted character in the book. It's yeah. like Pacino. Uh, you know the Pacino character in the book supposedly was maybe in the army and it was you know it uh, was involved in things that were very racist very uh, homophobic and stuff and then and the top of the and then when he becomes this undercover cop his character is kind of more supposedly uh, asexual unlike Pacino's character who has a girlfriend but it's very much the book apparently you know like I said neither one of us read it but apparently from what I researched about it, the book's very much about him, this character discovering his homosexuality, and he actually has, like, a sexual encounter with the Ted character in the book.
2: Um, yeah, in in the book, uh, you know, his name in the book is um, John Lynch. They change it to Steve Burns in this movie. Uh, they shift the the in the book. It's not entirely on the uh, point of view of the cop, where in this movie it becomes the point of view of the cop. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, it's between, it's like it shifts between the Pacino character,
1: the Paul Sorvino character, and the killer, I yeah. think, in the book.
2: Yeah. And then uh, there, there's a lot of, um, uh, from what I read in reviews on the book online, there's a lot of negativity of like racist and racial slurs in the book, like, you know, you know the the f word for gay people or you know a lot of like disparaging names yeah. and so there's a lot of that because i guess of the time when it came out and 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 from what people say every other word is is is, is like a racist or whatever like yeah, it's yeah. you know so it just seems that there's like a lot more anger in the book yeah. like uh, dealing with the culture and stuff whereas like getting back to the, the 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 interior leather bar movie where it's like i like how freaking it's not freaking's fault that this that that the culture or this viewpoint of homosexuality, this sub subculture of homosexuality, is looked at by mainstream mainstream America as like almost crazy because at the time, some of this was unheard of. I'm sure there's people who never even knew that this was you know you know people who aren't even sexual themselves. Yeah, yeah. So like I find it so fascinating that then we be, at Pacino becomes our eyes and ears into this world, and that whatever shocks Pacino is going to shock us, the audience. So. Uh, I like how they kind of turn it and they – because it's also, you know, uh, another reason for me personally I would think that the, that they would take all that racist stuff out is they were having a hard enough movie filming this, you know, of, of just trying to do, like, due diligence and make it kind of, uh, yeah. you know, be respectful of the – which I yeah. think it is. Well, yeah, I, you know? well, I
1: agree with you. I think one of the – So them, how, how hard
2: would it have been to, to do it if you ch- – kept it more to the book and you were using racial yeah. slurs or or, or gay I, slurs I think
1: that's it's a it's a really interesting thing about the movie is that it never does cast judgment on the lifestyle Pacino's character never really does no. I mean he might is like surprised initially maybe by some of the things he's seeing but it's never like there's never any kind of dispersions or any kind of judgment ever cast on the lifestyle from the filmmaker's point of view or the character's point of view. It's just like it exists and we're showing it to you or in Pacino's instance, it exists and I'm seeing it, but I'm not saying whether it's right, wrong, bad, good, weird, you know, typical, normal, whatever it is. I think it's a real, it's a huge strength of the movie to me. I feel like if it, if it made that judgment one way or the other I don't think it would have been as strong of a movie I, uh, there's something yeah. about it and it's something that you don't think about until after it you might most people probably wouldn't even think about it until you read Friedkin say it that it, like the movie doesn't have a judgment on it one way or the other, and then you're like you look at it, and you're like yeah, you know what, you're right. It's almost like a subconscious,
2: and that was the fear of, of of a lot of the homosexuals at the time that it was that that it was going to have some sort of judgment on it, and uh, that that was the reason why they they tried to stop filming by say like I'm uh, on being on rooftops shining mirrors down to like ruin a scene while they're walking or blowing air horns or whistles. So a lot of the movie ends up being having to be ADR. Yeah, there's basically
1: like protesters against the
2: movie that were
1: you know their goal was to kind of ruin the film yeah, of the
2: movie yeah and Randy talks about like you know usually you have like say 10 cops assigned to a film this movie had like 300 because there were like literally protests i mean there was huge things going on the people were throwing rocks and bottles i mean there's a, uh the movie was shot in the summer of 79 and uh in July 16th column of the v- Village Voice there's a writer named Arthur Bell he called for sabotage and I think Arthur Bell was also the man who put the series of articles out that also peaked um, uh, Freakin's interest again when he was reading yeah. that kind of got him back in maybe I should yeah. revisit us and do a movie we about have, a killing
1: we should also just say real quick that the, the Ted murder It you know like I said it strongly implied that it could be Pacino but it's also
2: implied that it could have been boyfriend. Oh yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, it's completely down the line, but this is just how we So it's like a, kind of
1: like a very much a crime of passion. Yeah,
2: it could be very way. it could have been yeah, it could have been the boyfriend, you know, uh, an Overkill on his end, but this columnist was calling for uh, Arthur Bell was calling for protests He uh to, to, to quote him. He says uh, Freakin's film promises to be the most obsessive ugly bigoted look at homosexuality ever presented on the screen The worst possible nightmare for the most upright straight. I implore readers This is him saying to give Freakin' in his production crew a terrible time if you spot them on the street and uh, He also uh, went on this to, st- to say for gay businesses He said to tell quote, to tell freaking to fuck off when he comes in to to film and exploit. So there were really, you know, genuine, I guess, genuine concerns. Of course, you know, this, I would still say to this day, uh, probably, like you're saying, holds the record uh, that this is probably the most mainstream look at gay. I mean, you could say Caligula or other films that have gay, Uh, you know sexuality in it but this is one of the most mainstream movies that you know was that was released i mean nowadays you have other movies like say party monster or other movies about homosexuality and stuff but for a mainstream hollywood movie to cover it and have it be the topic and you know i also think we should i mean
1: at least for me i think i think it would be wise to put some kind of disclaimer in terms of the fact that like you know for me anyway, it's like, I feel like I'm going off of the testimony of William Freakin that this scene existed that way and that he just captured it. Yeah. I really don't know. I mean, obviously, well, well, we talk you know, about like, it? was it really like that? Will we talked about, I, I don't know. So maybe, maybe the gay protesters had a point, um, or maybe they didn't. I don't know. Like, I don't think it, it whether it was really like that or not, I don't think it's making some kind of negative judgment. On no, it. I think it's but just trying I don't to chronicle know, I, it. I, don't, I don't know. For, I personally don't know for fact if it's, if it was a completely accurate representation of that. Like it very well could be. I kind of assume it is, but like thinking about it as we talk about it, like I realize I'm just going by the fact that William Friedkin says it's. Oh accurate. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Which could usually be a bad thing to t- to take a filmmaker's point of view and just you know go off of that. But like you know, at the very least, it's his perspective of what was you know. Going and on. you and talk as to a filmmaker, you need a perspective. And you talk to Jurgensen Jurgensen says this was what was happening, and then you list, you read a lot of the, the critics now looking back on the film. That they filmed, and uh, a lot of th- they filmed in legendary bars like the Ramrod, the Anvil, the Mine Shaft, the Eagle's Nest, uh, and they were using people like we said earlier in the movie. They were using extras that were actually, uh, you know, uh, bar goers of these bars. So, and then a lot of times, freaking actually had to tell them to kind of tone down anything just because it was going to eventually be filmed and put on the screen. So you had mm-hmm. to watch out for stuff. Um, and then there's. Uh, there's one other person that I'd like to, to 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 quote. It's it's from the Village Voice's in an article, and I find it hilarious. It's a guy writing now about it, Cruising being re released in two thousand seven, and uh, he sums it up by saying. Um, uh, what's this this guy uh his article's called a gay old time and it's by nathan lee and he says cruising is an amazing time capsule a heady horny flashback to the last gasp of full full-blown sexual abandonment and easily the most graphic depiction of gay spe- sex ever in mainstream movie cruising is a lord fever dream of uh, pop perfumes color-coded pocket hankies hardcore disco uh, footage and Crisco-coated forearms. Nowadays, what the naughtiest thing you can do in a gay club is or, is light a cigarette. It's bracing and let's admit, pretty fucking hot. To travel back to a moment when getting your asshole plowed in public was as blasé as ordering a Red Bull. Unquote. <laughs> so well, you know, there's, uh, there's a, a certain, ex- there's a certain kind of, and from like I said, from talking to Jurgensen and hearing that, like that there were bars, like there's one that like. The, the interior of it was looked like exactly like a subway station, yeah. and you go into it. The bath and the bathroom looked like subway cars, and it was all yeah. made because it was all part of the fetish of yeah. You know, well,
1: I mean, the, here we get an example of the rambles in uh, Grand Central. I mean, in uh, Central Park, and I don't, I, I can't think of any other movie that really represents that. Um, which is like a section of the park that gay people would go to hook up with other gay guys. Um, for the stern listeners out there, it's George Takei when he's Howard not, Stern, yeah, yeah, he's he he has talked about his escapades in the rambles really? back in the day. I mean, it was you have to imagine that this is a uh, it's a time where I mean, for a, a lot of these guys were, I mean they were in the closet. I mean, it was a hidden lifestyle that they were trying to keep away from everywhere else. So even if you went into these gay clubs, you know, that's one thing And I'm sure there were I wonder if that's why I'm, there's so and much. I'm, and I'm sure there were gay clubs that weren't quite this extreme or part of this scene. I'm sure there were other kinds of gay clubs. I mean, it was also the disco era. Yeah. Um, well,
2: that's what Jurgensen alludes to. He says, there's, you know, there's, there's these other clubs where you had gay men who were, you know, were just, you know, having a good time on a night, you know, but,
1: you know for a guy who's an actor who doesn't want to be out uh publicly i mean even going to a gay bar might not be the you know the 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 wisest thing to keep a secret so you had this whole other section of of homosexuality where you had to go to like these you know either like a bathhouse where it was obviously was also kind of like Uh, A little bit underground and a secret, or into you would they would go into the woods, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) to hook up, and you know, we see a bit of that here. Uh, so I mean, in terms of like, I think you have to put it into perspective, and like, we're talking about a time where like you couldn't walk down the street holding your boyfriend's hand, yeah, you know, walking. you know through the city today, walking to work or whatever I live in a, a neighborhood that's become starting to become I wouldn't say prominently gay but a strong gay community. I mean, it's, I mean today it's something that I see every single day um, but this is a time this movie takes place in a time where that wasn't accepted
2: you couldn't do that yeah.
1: so like you said
2: there's, there's maybe there's the reason why that you then you can see that there's such reckless abandonment in these kind of pockets of this this kind of a fetish of these bars where that you know it's we know it's accepted there so you're gonna do whatever and then then at the end of the day and like you said these are dudes and dudes are fucking horny and i always say as a joke i mean you know i'm not disparaging any kind of sexuality but you know i think gay people and bisexuals hey they've got it made in a sense of like you know like you know how hard it is like you with a girl you know guys know what they want so like you know can you imagine for like a straight guy you had a place you can just i mean it's not calling it a hooker you can just yeah. go I'm here to hook up and you leave you know it's like you know yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know? like, you know, mean it's side, like you know you think about I, like being a, a, a homosexual it's like you know as we, we, wa- we all know what we're doing here <laughs> as you know? we watch this movie that was like that was that
1: thought in my head it was like this is what happens when like there when there's not a woman involved to like put the brakes on yeah <laughs> you know like, like you know, you the only a blow re- job right now they're doing <laughs> like, it right now only reason, by the bar the only reason why you know in, in heterosexuality, I mean, obviously, this kind of quote unquote, you know, take if you were to take a respect, was quite kind of like hedonism yeah. like happens, and it does happen in like underground sex clubs and stuff, and and you have the idea of like uh, the uh, bondage and shit happening in heterosexual, but like, <laughs> you know, in 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 most aspects of heterosexual. Uh, life, it's, life, and, and and
2: relationships. It's like it's curtailed around the woman, the being woman in like, charge, or being, going around being her being into wills. it, being uh, yeah. ready for it. You know, you know and rightfully so. Willing, no. I mean, you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to, anyway. You know. But it's funny when you have, you get the mindset of a man. You know, men who are programmed to, to procreate with as many. You know, uh, you know that's what nature makes you do. You're supposed to just put your seed out in as many possible carriers as possible to further your bloodline. When you get a bunch of people like that in a room and they're all into each other, that's what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Like this So is, this is it's going to be a lot of, you got to watch out with the black light. <laughs> like I said, yeah, this is what happens. So it's like, I always thought of like, Jesus, if I was gay, this is just, it'd be the bee's knees to be able to be able to do what you want. So, I mean, and, and then we're, we're making light of something, which we don't mean to, yeah, but yeah. it's just funny that you'd like, of course, there's going to be this reckless abandonment there because, you know, it's like you're living out all your fantasies or whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, I think most guys,
1: especially in their
2: 20s, I mean, I feel like that's it.
1: Ta- it takes up so much p- p- of your of your being,
2: What's like that? trying to get laid. Oh yes, i still know? like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I yeah. think especially then. Yeah, of course. So yeah, especially <laughs> even in your late teens too, when you're coming to with all the when you're having all these, uh, uh, you know, hormones. just imagine
1: like any. You know, I used to have this friend who was female and she just like totally didn't believe. She thought like you would go to bars and you would talk to guys and they'd buy you drinks. And this was all like just a social, like social thing. And I was like, you realize that they are just trying to get into your pants. Like, no guy goes to a bar unless they're like there to watch like a sports event with like their friends. Like, no guy goes to a bar to just talk to ladies. Yeah. You know, like, there's, they're trying to, they're trying to fuck you.
2: Yeah. I I don't want to tell you. So,
1: (laughs) so imagine having the bar where guys are going there to fuck the people that they're sexually attracted to, and they're, and the people that they're sexual, they're sexually attracted to are there for exactly the same reason. (laughs) You yeah. know, like that's the only purpose. There's no girl being like, Oh, I don't understand. The friend zone exists or <laughs> you mean guys just don't buy girls drinks <laughs> out of the kindness of their heart. Well, some people
2: just live in a sheltered world. And I don't know if that's for better or for worse for them. They don't really know. The, and then they, they feign shock when they, what do you mean? A when guy was who wants the first time my you saw sauce? this?
1: When's the first time you saw this movie?
2: Uh, in its entirety, probably right when it came out on DVD, because that's right, right when I met. Randy and our mutual friend, they premiered it at, they premiered when it came on Blu-ray and DVD at some event that he was at with them, freaking and them and that. So I went and got it right then. And then I watched it in 27, but I, uh, 2007, but I'd seen bits and pieces of it growing up from, you know, working at a video store and like that, but I'd never seen it beginning. playing, playing in yeah, the put, <laughs> at night. I put it on in the background, you know, I put on some like uh, stories done popping, cruising <laughs> for the exactly. next movie. It's a great movie. We're going to have some fun, kids. <laughs> this is going to be a great old time um so uh how about you you said you already said when when it was yeah um it was funny
1: i had gone down to uh do some writing i went to visit a friend of mine dave he was living in north carolina at the time in a beach town and i he was working he couldn't take off so i literally just went down there to like be held up in this beach house to get some writing done while he worked all day and when i wasn't writing i was watching uh Cruising movies, <laughs> and one of the movies I watched was Cruising, and so I watched it
2: in his place by myself. That's also another level of uh, where you're in somebody else's house yeah, watching yeah. a movie like this,
1: yeah. But it, I totally was into it, you know. I it was, I mean, we're talking about uh, I feel like there's so much here too. And when there we, is, we just, I mean, it's, it's, there's it's, the, the whole thing with the, with the Spinel character and his well, that's so, yeah, I want to
2: talk about that quickly. Um, uh, what's going on with the Spinell character and his partner? What's because up with the Spinell character? <laughs> Joe Spinell plays a cop in it. And his partner is the the actor that we said that that has been in Goodfellas and Black Dynamite, the whole score and dumb stuff. Dumb and Dumber. The bigger guy. He plays Frenchie in Goodfellas, and I think this might be his first role. And Spinell's talking about his wife moving down to Florida and all this stuff, and how disgusting this world is. And the, you know he's gonna hopefully they're gonna turn the fire hose on. That's you know, and, he, and then he's saying this used to well, be.
1: The, they're patrolling like. A, the a gay, prom- a prominently
2: gay part I think town. he's like in the. I think they're down by the meat. The, the, I think they're in the meatpacking district, yeah. and he's like, you know, you used to be able to come out here, and how it is now, and then you know, certainly them, they're cutting away to just all guys, you know, with no shirts on, walking around at night, and you know, yeah, jeans drag and queens drag queens and, so. and stuff, and then they, they, they kind of grab some drag queens. Uh, he said Gene Davis, who was uh, Brian, um, Brad Davis's uh, brother, who plays a transvestite in this movie. Uh, they him and the Spinella, his partner grab and take him to a car and they forcibly make him give him blow jobs and so it's like you know I, and then well then, well then we and see And then Spinel's cruising.
1: Yeah yeah, we see Spinel in the club, we then see him in the park.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he almost cruises for Pacino and then so it's like is, is is the other part of the movie like I mean there's another movie that we don't know about where like they 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 had Spinell go undercover. You know, to, to <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know? I mean, clearly, Spinell is you know, like, and Spinell, it's like one of these closeted guy. It's like in this movie, it's like it's another thing where it's like I, I
1: saw that, but I did see that online. That there's like there's stuff. There's so much stuff in this movie that I don't find ambiguous that people find ambiguous. Like, is he also an undercover cop? Is he there to like protect Pacino?
2: And I was like, no, I think he's <laughs> yeah. very far from, I think he tried to like, yeah, you know. yeah,
1: I was like, no, I like, it's so interesting to see how other people perceive movies.
2: It's one thing if his, if his character was, uh, I mean, it could also just be uh, an example to show the cops being, um, you know, the brutality towards that segment of the, uh, yeah. uh of the community. But well, it's, I
1: think here's the thing. I think you could look at the movie this way, which it's. I think interesting and I just kind of thought of it which is that uh, not that this comment is interesting but uh, maybe if you took this it might be it's potentially a pers- uh, interesting perspective which is we're seeing v- various facets of homosexuality which I think is why people were afraid and As the movie is they thought is like you're just going to show this part of it and you're not going to show
2: well, they were You're, worried that leading, that showing this kind of lifestyle, then is uh, one plus one equals two, two being that yeah. then, of course, it's going to lead to murder and but, debauchery.
1: So we have the 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 leather club scene. Yeah, that's the one that's prominently focused on in the movie because that's the the backdrop of these murders. But then we have Ted. Yeah being like an alternative to that kind of gay life. He's more He's more
2: the mainstream
1: gay lifestyle. And then you have Spinell, which is another... Completely...
2: Like a, a different... He's a closet homosexual And you the have, point.
1: And you have like the designer who gets killed in the movie theater. Yeah, and that shows... It's like, it does kind of... It's showing like these different perspectives. And I think...
2: And you, you could be from any walk of life and still have these kind of uh, cravings yeah, or but be into the, this. I think the
1: Spinell character, one, I think him and his character... Him and his partner are very loosely, slightly uh, representing... Jurgensen's case of like the kind of the shakedown potential police yeah. officers and that's even referred to uh, the Gene Davis yeah, character says that who who's uh, an informant for, for, for uh, Paul Servino he says you know there's you gotta get these two cops off my back and Servino's like you know he's the, the you know how dare you say that you know yeah. you can't just make that presumption and he's
2: like they're riding around in a radio car it's like what their badge numbers? he's like I don't know but they're in uniform he's like you know how many people in person he's like you know? yeah. and he takes and it and then
1: that's the recollection that's the that's the thing that we mentioned when in the Ted scene where you're talking about Savino Sp- Sp- seeing the murder of Ted then registering that because his, his next door neighbor was Pacino and he sees uh, Spinell's name tag saying like, oh, this is the fucking asshole that the Gene Davis character is referring to. Like, there's a lot of revelation there
2: for, yeah. for Savino's character. Of course, that's why Pacino's like <laughs> I just it. walks out of frame and he has that limp which I that's another thing I wanted to ask Savino it's like you know did you did you create that limp for the movie cuz he's limping around the but, whole movie uh,
1: I think Spinell's character aside from that So his is also maybe consciously representing like the closeted homophobic
2: who then takes the violence out on being this way towards, because it's one thing, it's one thing if him and his, his partner were violent towards homosexuals, like beat him up and stuff like that. But then it takes a different level. It's like you and me are going to go out and, you know, we're saying we're straight, but then we're going to both get head from two guys, you know, in the same car together. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's, it's interesting that then they have this intimacy, like they're like, like high five (laughs) at each other, you know, (laughs) you know, one in the back seat, one the other seat. So it'd be, It'd be one thing that the level is to sum up and this little uh th- little uh esoteric uh venture or offshoot here is that if Spinel actively, uh, you know, beat up these people because we didn't know that he subconsciously or, or inadvertently like a closet homosexual. But then, he is a closet homosexual with another guy who must obviously be a closet homosexual who happens to be his partner. Yeah. You know, he's not hiding anything from his fucking partner when they're driving around in the radio car. They're grabbing. You know, he's like, come here. You know, and it's another thing. It's like I love another guy. Spinel's got such a great voice. I'd love to have him like narrate children's books. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, he's got See such him, a great Yeah, you know, what, do you, what am I supposed to do? You know, so, but he's, he's long passed away. God bless him. Um, uh, before we, we we get too much, there's some things I guess we have to hit. Uh, the interrogation scenes in in the police stations, which are p- notorious. Uh, we, again, we, we want to plug our interview we have with Jurgensen, but there's scenes where I don't think anyone... Another thing is, like, maybe to the, to, to, to Freakin's detriment they're never explained why these things are happening within the context of the movie, so people don't understand. Like there's a scene where there's like, uh, they're interrogating a person who they think might be the uh, killer, but they end up like, you know, really being too hard on him. He confesses and then you find out, no, it's it's his fingerprints or DNA, it's his fingerprints don't match the murder weapon or whatever, because they got a print off one of the killers uh, on a a bloodied um, uh, quarter. Uh, in the middle of the interrogation, they they stop talking, and then a, a guy comes out of a room. This six foot seven black guy and a jockstrap, only, <laughs> only dressed, only dressed, and he's jacked. He's only dressed in a jock strap and a cowboy hat. He comes up, slaps them in the face, and just walks out. And it's like you know, these were things that they actually did just to, to, to kind of like, and then n- not make not acknowledge that that ever happened. Yeah. So the person well, even if you
1: watch like the like a, the special. Features for like the DVD. Jerkinson's, like it happened, but there's no explanation as to like why. Like what was the like I, okay like this this happened for real.
2: Yeah, but why would you help? But well, like, what is the context? Like who thought it up? Yeah, what was the purpose? Well, <laughs> Randy's makes it sound like he thought it up, and I think it was just to uh, to kind of like you know when you're in an interrogation for how many hours, you know I think for 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 better or for worse in this situation it was to just rattle these people. You know, they to, to to so that's where they would ignore what's happening and then this person would come in and they would be like, What the fuck is going on here? You know yeah, but the choice of attire oh, is I, it's another thing. It would have been rattling had the guy <laughs> been dressed. <laughs> <laughs> let alone if he was a heterosexual, let alone a homosexual. You know? But yeah, I guess that's what they, it would so it's a, this whole thing and then they talk about the ball test, which is uh what well, that's like, you know, we talk about in the movie. I think which
1: it is, gets brought up I think in the Dutch we talk about it in the Dutch podcast. Doing.
2: So. Yeah, that's uh, Ed O'Neill asked Jurgensen Jer- a question through our, our friend uh, in our interview about, you know, and then Jurgensen kind of goes into it. These are all things where I think some people may have issue with. I mean, this isn't neither for us he- here or there for us to, 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 to go into, but some people may have, you know, in the old days of well, being I a police officer, it was a different time. So Yeah, you know. I
1: also think that a lot of those things in the movie um, like that, or we talk about it actually in Deep Red. Yeah. In our Deep Red cast. There's certain things in the, in Deep Red that Argento does, um, like the lizard. It's like just... To, there's a the lot of like little cruelty. things that are just like... The dog's fighting. It's just things that kind of keep you off kilter as a yeah. viewer. To like, You can't really get comfortable at any point. And I feel like there's some of... I think some of these choices uh, from a filmmaking standpoint of one like, okay, even if it did happen... Why put it in this movie? Yeah. I think a lot of those choices are probably made because Friedkin just wants to keep you off center as a viewer. Like you can't really get comfortable. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. what's this guy? Or why? What's this? Like, how that happen? Or are the killer's different in every scene. Even if you don't recognize it, you maybe somehow on some subconscious level get it, and it keeps you uncomfortable maybe a little confused um it's a lot and he puts in like there are points in the, during the murder yeah. stuff of like subliminal like one frame images
2: of actual gay porn and then there's another in the third killing where we were talking about where uh, the, the the killer kills the um 5th avenue uh, rich uh, um business owner uh in a peep show a gay peep show and he and that's where he gets the bloody fingerprint on the quarter and right in the middle of that in the background there's there's they're watching some gay porn on like film uh and uh when they're getting comfortable with each other it just cuts to the shot from the beginning of the movie of the the first victim bound looking over his so it's like you see that so it's like a lot of that is being thrown in there And, and to me like now, that's kind of old hat, but in the past 15, 10 years, that's all kind of new, doing yeah. jumping around and interjecting, just like jump cuts to weird things. And so f- to see all that back then just laid in either either just subliminal, you know, one frame cut in here or there, yeah. that's all kind of, in a way, groundbreaking. And the way he just kind of approaches this being a traditional, basically it's, it's traditional, you know, thriller, police thriller about a serial killer and then going undercover and then... Adding all these elements to make it you know stand out and and, and have some sort of uh, life of its own is the reason why we were talking about it yeah. thirty five years after the movie came out um, I mean just I think the picture technically looks amazing just how they shot it. I love the uh the colors in the movie and then like the the monochromatic shots inside the bars and then when they're doing the poppers it all gets colorful again and then the uh the foley work of i love just that leather and then every time they're walking they've got like keys and and metal on them so you have the the, yeah you have like the you hear the chinking of the chains i love all that attention to detail and then the soundtrack is just phenomenal i love the soundtrack in this movie and it's another thing going into you about Talking about um, you know soundtracks, you're you're you're. Uh, well, yeah, I
1: mean there's a, there's an excellent selection of songs from yeah. the club scene, but also uh, I think Jack Nietzsche did the. Yeah, they did, did like this, a, the quote unquote score,
2: um, which is basically just like a um, like a six or seven minute song, which is like I think it's called like cruising. It's like the theme or whatever, and it's done with like a classical guitar as well as just like sounds. And I yeah. just love the, you know, well, like Nietzsche the...
1: also did, uh, I talked to Carpenter just a tad about Nietzsche because Nietzsche did the score for uh, Starman. Okay. But, um, I mean, he was like, you know- He's like t- using bottles and yeah, like, rings. like you Yeah, he was like, you know, like glass, like the, the you know- The, the rims the of cl- glasses glass Glasses with the water in it to make like the- yeah, it hum- makes, It's like you you more know, it's, like sound. I mean, it's yeah. sound design-
2: yeah, but not but for in the place of music, yeah. Like or but scoring. instead of like, so, like at the beginning of this, when you have that shot of like you know the the title card is just the it's the, the cruising going by, yeah, and you very hear very rocky, yeah, very <laughs> rocky, you know, and it, or like is I think Goodfellas is the same thing. Goodfellas, it just goes by, and it's like you know you hear kind of like just some abstract notes on a classical guitar I think it's just so fitting and then you have all the diegetic music which I, which like a lot of legendary like I guess LA punk bands at the time like the Germs did songs for the movie so there's a lot of for people who were in the scene at the time they do say this may not necessarily be the music of the era that were in these clubs because a lot of it was disco but they wanted it to be as cutting edge so they had yeah, a lot of this yeah. but also the non-diegetic the, the scoring we say I just think it suits it and it's just such a good soundtrack I went and downloaded the thing yesterday and it's just yeah it's really great you know just the Overall, it just adds that tension to it, you know. The uh, the, the the scenes uh, that add tension of like the you know, like you're saying, the sound effects in place of music elements. Yeah, you know, but they're u- being used in a sense for a score. I think are just they're they're completely effective. Yeah. Um, so the the movie ends up coming out in February of '80. It's shot in March of '79. Uh, I'm sorry, it's shot in my birthday's March of '79. Shot in the summer of '79 comes out in summer of 80 It is panned at the box office people call it uh x-rated um ebert actually gives it i think uh maybe two out of four stars or whatever but basically people just it's porn it's x-rated i mean when they first bring it in front of like the uh uh mpaa they say there's not enough x's to put in front of this so what ends up happening is uh, freaking says he spends like 50 grand just like, you know, taking it in front of the uh, the ratings board to get a, a right rating. And then, you know, his cut was supposedly a lot longer, like we alluded to. He cut 40 minutes out. And then they end up getting a re- a, a cut that's releasable. But I think it is released X. And that's a, a reason for me, like a stigma as a kid. I remember this having the stigma around the film. That's why I never really went and saw it. I didn't know if it was about gay. I just knew something was. I don't, and I don't even know how I know that. Yeah. Like, but I just know there was something around this movie that was crazy. I mean, the movie's still banned in Finland. It's banned in Iran. It's banned in South Africa. You know, uh, I mean, Iran. You know, you, you 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 kind of wonder why anything isn't banned there. But it's just, it's it didn't. It really, it kind of again flopped, and then. It's interesting. I, I'm almost positive that like Pacino's next movie is like Tony Montana. He's played Scarface. It's like the Uber Man. You know what I mean. Yeah, so it's yeah. funny to see him. He bounce back and then do um, a film like that. But I, you know, I think it's just you know, I loved it. I think it's just so fun. It's just such a good um, fun. You know, well, it's fun in the sense <laughs> from like, I enjoy these police movies. And it's, like, it's fun just, like, the guessing game of what's going on. And then the last shot. Yeah. Let's talk about the the actual last shot, for me, is very much like the, the Steve McQueen movie, Bullet. Where it's, like, at the end of that movie, after the whole thing that happens is uh, Frank Bullet comes home. He puts his gun down, he goes to wash his face off, and it's almost like he's w- washing the filth of the crime in the city, yeah, the dirt yeah. off his face, and he stops and he looks at himself in the mirror. And then all the sound stops, and it's just like you hear like the little dripping from the faucet. And it's like him just like almost taking his, his battered uh, profile in. And at the end of this movie, it's the same thing. He, he, he takes everything off uh, in cruising. He takes everything off. He tells Carrie Allen, I'm back. Let's get ready. Let me just go wash up and shave. He goes in to shave, and then it's almost like for me it felt like the a child who sees like Dad's gun. Yeah. You know, she starts looking at it. His his leather stuff. She's looking at. You know, she puts the the, the I think the sunglasses on. She puts the hat on. Maybe even the jacket. And he's in the bathroom shaving, and then he kind of stops and he looks in the mirror, and then he makes he makes eye contact with the camera, and then that's how it ends. It's like it's kind of you know it well, leads you. Well, then we see
1: the water again, but. Yeah,
2: like, yeah 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 you see the water One more time and Then maybe you even see The, like the, the killer bone. walking I know. think
1: that's be- I think we see the killer Or the guy Walking into the club I think The, the, the mirrored shot Is before that I think
2: before his the last shot of them in the apartment.
1: Before the in the apartment scene, and then, but then the last shot of the movie is actually the boats, which well, is see, what that, we it, saw in the beginning.
2: Of it, the movie. And that just leads me to believe, like the last shot of him walking back into the club, like it's still happening, it's going to keep happening, and then the water, it's still happening, it's going to keep happening, and yeah. then is Pacino knows I mean, something we
1: don't... Again, I mean, the structure of that does certainly give it some kind of, you could say bookending it, but to me it does seem circular. Yeah. Like, so, it's kind of ongoing. Yeah, the you know, the Karen Allen putting on the stuff. I mean, obviously, there's some kind of symbolism going on there. You know, she's... He's shedding it. She's putting it on.
2: She's... Sure, she's, you know, like, she's the novice looking at, like, you know, I uh, I don't know what this is, so I'm interested automatically in it, you know?
1: Or, like, you know, she's... It's It's like, don't touch it. It's very dangerous. I mean, you could look at it in any way. I mean, it's, like, her... Embracing some kind of masculinity you could look at, you know, like some kind of transformation, even if it's just briefly a physical one, uh, you know, Al Pacino looking in the mirror, obviously looking in the mirror comes in, in a lot of cases kind of symbolizes change or reflection, you know, both figuratively and literally. Um, you know, I think it was freaking who says that, like, you don't really ever really know a person. Sometimes you don't really even know yourself. So it's like, you know, you could he's looking at himself being
2: like, and, and, you know, like, who are you? Yeah, you and then he lost looks at, And then he
1: looks at us. Who this are is, you? Who
2: are you? <laughs> who, are you? <laughs> who are you? And I mean, and this is something even freaking said uh, at, when I saw him at a screening. He talked about, you know, movies change in the editing room. And this is a movie, he said, that changed in the editing room when he was editing it. So who knows? Maybe this this is where all the ambiguity comes into play, is that, you know, once you get into the editing room with stuff. Um so yeah, I feel like there's so much more that you can go into this movie, that whole story about his radio radiologist who was in the Exorcist that actually was a homosexual that did he committed a couple of murders and then uh freaking went to visit him in in the uh at, for in pre-production he went to go visit him in in the psychiatric hospital to ask him about it. Uh they were going to there was a they they asked Robert De Niro, he turned down the role. Um for Pacino's character in this. uh, They tried to get um, Roy Scheider. He turned it down as well. There was, I hear for a moment, uh, Paul Morrissey was slated to direct with Jeff Bridges playing the Pacino character and Jane Michael Vincent playing the, uh, the, the eventual killer. So, I mean, I could see that conceivable at the time. So yeah. there's a lot of... That's kind of the what-if game we've got going on here for the most part. And uh, I think at the end of the day, everyone does a phenomenal role in the movie, like, you know, the the, the, the roles itself and how it's well, done. Yeah,
1: I think the cast is great. Yeah. Uh, Even
2: Carrie Allen, you don't get to see her that much. And this is right around a year later she does Raiders of the Lost Ark, so it's interesting yeah. she's doing this kind of thing. So uh, what would you give it for rating? Well, I like the movie
1: a lot. So, I mean, as far as, you know, sometimes... Sometimes I'll give a movie. Sometimes if I feel like a movie is possibly, you know, not exactly a sleepover movie, I sometimes give it two ratings. So I would say, as a sleepover movie, I, I would highly not recommend it for a sleepover. <laughs> Maybe now, but not- you mean at the time, <laughs> you know, not not even, uh, you know, there's some movies that I just I, I consider, you know. You know, just to classify a sleepover movie, I don't necessarily think this is one. I think it, it probably, you know, you could argue for it. Um, some of the horrific elements and the thriller elements, you could ar- off argue that it could be, you know, sleepover worthy. But I do think for <laughs> the sub- did, it, for this subject matter... Ever, right. If
2: anybody ever wants to do a comedy, uh, you know, about sleepover comedy, this would be a great <laughs> comedy where a bunch of guys don't know when they rent this and they take it home... You know?
1: <laughs> so as a sleepover movie I, I would I would rate it pretty low. As a movie itself, uh uh I, I like it a lot. Would we do it out of five? So I'd say I don't know, four, three, three and a half, four?
2: Yeah, I mean I guess if we're if we're gonna make the distinction between sleep this isn't really a sleepover movie. I mean
1: I wouldn't recommend
2: it. I guess it can be because it would be if an, you're I, an al Pacino like I, fan, like, it's like, a very unorthodox.
1: Like I said, it it ma- it would make for the for the pro- one of the more awkward Saturday yeah. nights movies. especially if <laughs> it's
2: like a bunch of dudes who don't really know each other <laughs> who are sleeping over, like like it's a big birthday party. <laughs> you know, and then you write you write this. I can't think of even more awkward. Like you, you get this in Caliglia and it's like, wow, you know, it's you know. Uh, it's and then I was thinking I was watching I was gonna <laughs> I was you used to say you, you always talk about how a lot of times growing up you watch stuff with your mom you'd watch a movie oh, yeah, with your mom yeah. so I was watching that gay leather bar yesterday and I was like thinking oh I'm sorry interior leather bar excuse me uh, and I was thinking wow this would be a terrible movie to watch with <laughs> my mom where there's actually you know guys actually you can see yeah, them blowing each other and yeah, stuff like yeah. that you know uh, so uh, this movie uh, yeah as a as a as a movie, like a sleepover movie for me, like or ratings, as I like it, sleepover stars, I'd give it like a f- what five or four. Yeah. But as a, uh, a sleepover movie, probably like a one or like yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, a half a point because it's, it's just, you know you get in a really dicey territory if you're good even just this.
1: from you know not even from like type of movie from subject matter. It's
2: uh, it's not something kids should be watching. <laughs> impressionable admit, children. It's not a very good choice. For you know, somebody. and that's not a, in, in any way you can, or, or, or making judgments on the content. It's just that it's real it's real dark and it's real uh especially for you know kids guys boys especially growing up and them having uh you know issues with any kind of uh sexuality yeah or well here's
1: the thing like i know you know for me i don't necessarily think that censorship for things that are shown to children i mean obviously parents have their own thing i don't really feel like i was necessarily censored i don't think my parents would have loved if i watched this movie so i'm not saying that like you know, in the right context.
2: I wonder if this movie even got any play back then. You know. Like, but, what was it on at HBO? But for a, for a group of guys getting together and a yeah, bunch of 13 ye- year olds. <laughs> 13 year old boys going yeah. to a video store. Yeah. After, after a, a day of playing <laughs> p- pool parties, you know, a bunch of kids playing on some rubber floats all day, you know, and then they have a bunch of pizzas and then they come home and they're like, let's go to the video have, store. Let's rent a bucket uh, of pizza. Yeah, and then what do they rent? They rent this, they rent freaking Caligula, and they rent, uh, I don't know what other awkward movie there could <laughs> anyway. be that they rent. So, yeah, um then we could
1: go on forever.
2: Yeah, I mean there's there's uh, sure there's a slew of stuff we didn't touch on. Part 2. Yeah, we just definitely this is the part 2. Uh, but check out next week our, our interview with Jerkinson that we recorded in 2012 and it's uh it's it's uh, a lot of it kind of hits on some of the points we did in the last interview with him that was about 6 months ago, but it has a lot of new stuff about um one of being, he actually describes this actual case of uh, of what the the bag murders this was based on, as well as some other funny anecdotes relating to uh, movies and stuff like that. So it's fun, and we had it. So let's why not hear more, Randy? And um, uh, please check us out on Facebook. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. No, we're not on Instagram yet. <laughs> we're on um, oh,
1: Facebook, Twitter. We have our website, saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com.
2: We're on um, iTunes. We're on all the, the the podcasting aggregates. Just check us out. Google us. You'll find us. Um, you have your Scored to Death page. Scored to Death.
1: I have also on Twitter, at Scored to Death on both Twitter and Facebook. The book's out. It's for sale. Check it out. I'll be at uh, the weekend of the 12th, August 12th, 13th, 14th. I'll be at the Monster Mania convention, selling and signing books. And then the following weekend... On the 21st, I'll be in Burbank signing books at Dark Delicacies. Uh,
2: Burbank, California.
1: Burbank, California, with yeah. a bunch of the composers. So if you're into harmony music yeah, and, and they're... you're in the California area, that would be a good signing to come to because you can get a lot of shit signed by a lot of cool guys.
2: And then the, this, the, the one of the 12th, 13th is the, is That's the jersey. That's Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yeah. And um, yeah, so check us out in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have this fun uh, interview with Jurgensen, and then uh, we'll see you in two weeks. And we'll be closing out the summer with a hot summer. Yes, yeah, stinky, not, sunny not
1: not sexually, just steamy and <laughs> hot and sticky. Yeah,
2: not in any kind of uh, <laughs> sexual a, not way. Not any
1: kind of cruising
2: way. Yeah, any kind of uh, gay porn way. So yeah, we're gonna be doing interior leather bar next. <laughs> <laughs> next one, it's gonna get really awkward for us. So all right, later.
0: Cruising is a figure standing in the shadows and a voice whispering in the dark. Where are you? I'm waiting for you. Cruising is looking
1: dangerous and being in danger. Al Pacino is the New York cop who's cruising for a killer. Cruising Certificate X. At the London Pavilion and Odeon's Kensington and Chelsea now.